0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style show from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. On this episode of Raw, episode 66, how to avoid being a moto travel target, and what are my rights as a foreigner? All that and a whole bunch more coming up. This episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, facilitating adventurous conversations, much like I hope we do here on Raw. Freshtracks.co.uk. And before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people who helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. Here we go. Emmaus Moto Tours, John Kroonich, Robbie Savard, Jesse Ingall, David Fickelstein, Russell LaRoche, R. Duper, and Susan and Bill Dragoo from Dragoo Adventure Rider Training. You'll know them from our Rider Skills segments that we do on Adventure Rider Radio. Matter of fact, they were on just two weeks ago. It's great to have people that appreciate what we're doing and support the show. And we need your support because it is built on a model of advertising and listener support. Drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com and find out the different ways that you can help things out. Now, here we go with Raw, Adventure Rider Radio, Raw for July 2021. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our minds, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today, the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK. Hello, Sam. Hey, hi, everybody. It's really good to be back again. What's happening in the UK for summer for you, Sam? I tell you what, the countryside here
1: has been incredibly well watered for about two weeks. So green and pleasant land, it really is. And we can see that today because we've had sunshine. It's been really nice. But it's been actually cold. I mean, what's going on? This is July in England. It's supposed to be one of the hottest, most beautiful months. But hey, well, so long as the farmers are happy that they've had a good watering and then the sun's out again, then that's good.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's crazy. And of course, we're going to hear about heat, I'm sure, when we talk with Grant Johnson in, in British Columbia. I may as well bring Grant in now. Grant, hello?
2: Hello. Hi, everybody. We've come out of the worst of the heat dome, but we're still suffering with some heat. It's 30-31, but it's supposed to cool off. It's getting better. But the uh, forest fires are seriously bad. We're over a thousand fires already this year, which is putting us like a month ahead of where we should be. So the smoke haze is definitely getting to us here in Chilliwack, but it could be worse. It could be worse.
0: Well, you're, uh, you're comfortable and cozy. I guess that's the main thing for yourself anyway.
2: Yeah, well, we've got a, we've moved into a new house and we've got air conditioning. So we're in good shape and I've got a garage. Hey, this means you have a garage. You can
0: put your motorcycles in there. You can, you know, equip it again and, and you can put in a bunch of filing cabinets that you got rid of a long time ago. Filing cabinets? Well, for Horizons Unlimited, I don't know. You,
2: you were giving away oh, filing no, cabinets or you're that's, selling that's filing cabinets. I've yeah. got an office downstairs. The uh-huh. rec room is my office. Very Positively nice. luxurious. I have room, and Susan is in another office in another room. It's oh. lovely.
0: <laughs> you have a, like a glass wall in between, so you can see each other when you while you're working.
2: No, we have an intercom. Are you oh, serious? <laughs> sad, to yeah, come,
0: yeah. So now you're under the wheeled chairs and everything, so you can buzz around without having to get up.
2: Oh yeah, it's delightful. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> After that tiny little apartment we had, I mean, we had a I think it was about eleven foot by thirteen foot room, which was the larger bedroom of the two in the two-bedroom apartment we rented, and that was our office. Now, if you can get two people, two de- two large desks, a couple of filing cabinets, and God knows what else, um, it was a squeeze. Like, I could look up, and if I was careful and I didn't nudge something, I it wouldn't fall on my head. But, <laughs> you know, if we had a little bit of a tremor, I was really worried about that shelving unit that went all the way to the ceiling. Yeah, it was a bit dodgy. I, I, but anyway, I Much better now in a two-car garage, which is a motorcycle-only garage. Ooh. Yes.
0: Michelle Lamphair is um, in the Black Hills of South Dakota enjoying a wonderful season. Michelle, hello.
3: Hi. I hope everybody's doing well.
0: I guess you're busy. I mean, you've got the the chalet there probably all booked up and we were talking about Sturgis coming up.
3: It is. It's only three weeks away, which is just so crazy because I think when you grow up in South Dakota or you're from Sturgis, you judge your entire year by when the rally. It's sort of the first half of the year is before the rally and the last half is after. So when Sturgis Rally comes, it feels like summer is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, a fast one and it, it has been such a busy summer here in the Black Hills, which is fantastic and overwhelming all at the same time. Because so, everybody's yeah, been like,
0: dying to get get out and do something, I guess.
3: Exactly. Everybody was tired of being cooped up, so they're all out and about. All of the tourists and travelers, but tons of motorcyclists. So, um, I've actually had a few people stop by and and say hello, which is a treat. So nice to meet people that are out and about and enjoying the roads in the Black Hills and get to see different bikes and hear different travel stories. That's always a lot of fun.
0: Right. You when you say a few people drop by, you're talking listeners to to raw.
3: I I am. Gosh, yeah. I should have said. We actually have had a couple um, uh, people stop by, and and one guy pulled in and had um, her, a Horizons Unlimited sticker on the back of his bike, and a uh, Adventure Rider Radio sticker on his other pannier, and and uh, just stopped to say hello, which made my day. So, lot, lots of uh, lots of fun this summer.
0: Hey, you grew up with with. I think you even worked at Sturgis when you were younger. What What is that like for those who haven't went? What What is Sturgis like?
3: Uh, crazy. <laughs>
0: <Is> it, <laughs> like super, super it's, busy.
3: It's super busy. It's super crazy. It's loud. Yeah, I, I grew up in Sturgis in, in high school. I think um, other than working at the sale barn with cattle and horses, my, that was my very first job. Uh, my second job was handing out flyers on Main Street. And so I remember being sixteen and walking through crowds of bikers and handing out flyers to a campground to try and get people to go out to this particular campground. And yeah, I mean it's a sea of people and it, yeah, just everything imaginable. Things I'm sure that a sixteen-year-old girl shouldn't have been seeing at that time.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so, so much yeah. time on that place. <laughs> so, like <laughs>
0: carnival atmosphere, almost not not like you, you want to it run is. and hide.
3: No, no, it, it was very much just like a carnival, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, too many skimpy outfits and painted on tops, and uh, yeah, piercings and weirdos, and yeah, just wow. every kind of tattoo you can imagine. But yeah, it, it also just something really unique and and also such a cross section of humanity all in one place. And they pour in the town itself at the time was only like a population of maybe 5,000 people. And when you think... You know, on an average year at Sturgis Rally, we get a half million people. And in big years, we've had over a million people come into Sturgis and either camp or stay in hotels or fill up every place that you can stay for a hundred mile radius for 10 days. It's just insane how much traffic there is on the roads, um, in all of the shops everywhere. But it's it's this really fun energy and cool vibe. And the roads in the Black Hills are are absolutely spectacular. So it's why they come. And it's a lot of fun.
0: I was going to ask you, cause you mentioned the painted tops. I was going to ask, well, why would somebody do that? And I just realized it, it really saves on laundry, right? I mean, yeah, you just wash it I'm
3: off. Sh- I'm sure that's what it was, Jim. You bet. There's
0: no way I would ever wear a painted top. Like never. Just not my style.
3: Well, it, it wasn't actually the guys that were doing it. Oh, really? So.
0: Oh, that's weird.
3: So. No problem.
0: <laughs> Shirley hardy obviously and, and Brian Ricks sorry. are in Australia, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed first thing in the morning having their coffee and their Vegemite and toast. Good morning to the both of you.
4: I just can't believe the conversation I just listened to.
0: It's <laughs> crazy. Sorry. I had to stop her. <laughs> yes,
4: Jim,
5: Jim,
6: Jim. We were at Sturgis at the right time. Yeah, we went there a, two, a, week a, week, a week after. So, all the infrastructure was there. Uh, it was fantastic. And there's a great museum there, too, isn't there, Michelle? Which is, um, I, don't, I remember, is it the Pink Ladies or uh, I can't remember the name this, of the, the lady that was a uh, motorcyclist back in the 40s or whatever it was? Her bikes uh, in there.
3: I think it might uh, have been the Motor Mates. Yes, uh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's the yeah. Sturgis Motorcycle Museum. It's fantastic.
6: Yeah, it is really good. Anyway, um, we're bright and early. I'll just look outside. Yep, it's still dark and, and it's, it's raining. Really- <laughs> so, Dark I'll and be raining. Today.
5: Wow.
4: Yeah. It doesn't rain here very often, so we don't complain about the rain all that much. Oh, so it's kind of nice. While Sam lives in the Greenland... We live in the brown land, so when it rains, we're quite happy. And what's
6: this? Thirty-one, thirty-two degrees. Come on, oh, you can do better than that. Green. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we had over forty, so um, I'm quite happy at thirty-one, thirty-two. Thanks, thanks, Yeah, right. proper summer weather, right?
4: Over forty is way too hot.
0: <laughs> yeah well let's uh, let's kick things off with our, our first topic today which is how to avoid being a moto travel target I guess we you know we run the risk of repeating a couple of stories here but but I was curious about getting some stories about that for time so so what is a moto travel target I mean really what we're talking about is um, being a, a, a tourist target I guess for any sort of crime or any sort of con or or ripoff and, and things like that. It's interesting because I I have a a special computer that I use for researching this type of sensitive topic. And when I typed in my my information that I wanted to look at for as far as uh, being a a target as traveler, the first thing that Google came back with was was these related suggestions. I, I just want to give them to you because I think it's kind of funny. The first one is why do travelers get away with crime? I didn't know travelers get away with crime. That's great. But then, then it goes on. The next one is crime in gypsy communities. I don't, I don't quite get, to, I mean, I guess, well, whatever, but anyway, and then the two down from that is why do travelers get away with everything? Like there, There's some, there's some negativity really? here in these searches, travelers and organized crime. How is that such a popular search term on Google? No. Maybe I shouldn't stop there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> travelers. I'm just going to throw in one little tidbit that might explain a little bit of it. In Europe, travelers are gypsies. Gypsies are known as it's travelers. A
3: word. Yeah. yeah, the
2: term. And I think that's where it got a little bit confused. Yeah, Conflated. but I thought gypsies
0: are, are more than just. I mean, I thought there there are, and it was more. Uh, Sam, you can probably elaborate on this. It was it was more of um, it, it's a lifestyle, which is not quite travel, is it?
1: Well, I mean, um, the t- the term uh, traveller also covers um, people who live in vans, so um, van life people. It's it's quite a broad um, title. Um, but uh, gypsies very firmly fit in with it and they don't have a good reputation. Some of it I suspect they've probably bought on themselves, but I'm no expert. I only know what I also see online. Um, but other times I think actually that's just unfair because they're living a life of, of people that other people don't understand. People who are in a more standard way of living don't understand why you would want to live in a caravan and why you would want to do um, casual labour or whatever. Um, And sometimes when I think about their way of life, I think that we overlanders actually aren't that far off um, because a lot of the things that they do, we do too. But perhaps, um, well, I I mean, they have a reputation for um, bending an awful lot of rules and um, perhaps overlanders have a bit more um, perceived respect than that.
0: Why do travelers get away with crime?
1: (laughs) I have a real problem with that coming up. Like that is, um, there are some people that I know, um, go into other lands and they think it's not my land. So therefore I don't have to pay attention to the rule. But I, I think from my experience of people that I've met, that's a very, very small percentage. Yeah, Um, I would think so. But I mean, it's interesting
0: that it's one of the, the, I mean, who knows what the related search is and, and Google and how it feeds them up. But I, I was, I was really shocked to see that as the next suggestion. Why do, why do try I thought that's a presupposition right there. Travelers get away with crime. Maybe this could be a whole new topic for us.
4: <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> well, I don't know about getting away with crime, but certainly um, there are some tourists, not necessarily travelers, who go on their two week vacation and do behave badly. They do things that they would never dream of doing at home.
0: Yeah, but I, I guess that's not really—they're not really being criminals, right? I mean, they're—they're—they're they're, they're just being foolish or, or um, you know, stupid There's when they're some, going somewhere.
4: Yeah, sometimes it would verge on criminality, but most it would just be probably alcohol-fueled yeah. stupidity. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember the, this one uh, when I was younger, we were um, in a place in New York, there was something that happened. I remember the police officer saying uh, that the tourists were called rubberheads there because it was a tourist town. And he said um, they all, you know, come there to to bounce around and act like idiots and, and the locals call them rubberheads. Uh, he had a, a quite a long uh, rant about it, but um, wasn't impressed. And I guess it wasn't so much that people were going there and, and you know, painting on walls and stuff like that. It's they were getting drunk and stupid.
2: yeah, yeah. Oh
1: Behaving badly. It's it's actually a a statistic and I can't remember where I've seen it, but it is out there somewhere. Um, A huge percentage of um, travelers get um, ripped off when they are out and about um, drunk and it's theft and it's general robbery and it's um, assault and all sorts of things like that. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> Overlanders, you know, travelers, people who are out of their own country, and they're partying. A lot of them fall foul to the scam artists who are spiking drinks and things like that. And one of the things that you know, when people ask me, "So, what do I? What do I need to be aware of?" Then that's one of the first things I'm saying. Look, if you're going to go out on the lash. Um, make sure you know who's who's buying you the drinks and mm-hmm. don't leave your drink unattended. And if you do have to go to the toilet, or whatever, make sure a mate that you trust is looking after it. And I know that sounds paranoid, but I have seen people in places like Thailand, for example, coming very much um, the worse off. Um, because they've had their drink spiked.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, and I, and I want to get to that. But first, before we get into the, the tips and everything, I'm, I'm curious about some stories um, of, of times where you guys have run into something. Uh, Sam, I, I know you have stories of this. Uh, and I think we'll just start with you. But what sort of story are you thinking about, Jim? You oh, know, nothing about it. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> Sam, you have four books. No. Out, okay. And, and I think anyone who's, re- who's read your books... They, they have an insight, okay? So don't try and hide
1: it. <laughs> so, you know, I try really hard to be sweet and innocent when I'm traveling and to follow the rules, but mm-hmm. somehow things don't always work out as they should do. It's funny that, isn't it? Um, I mean, as far as theft and things like that is concerned, I've only ever had one thing stolen. Um, well, one thing that mattered, and that was my camera, and that was because I just did not follow the rules, and I put it down, and I didn't pay due care and attention, and it went, and I was bitterly disappointed that I'd been so stupid, but even more so because it had 35 shots on a 36 roll film in it. And there were all photos of my bike in you know, really unusual places, a couple of Buddhist monks sitting on the back of it, upside down in a ditch with a policeman scratching his head. And, you know, all of these sorts of things that you just, and I'd save that, that camera and that film for those gems. So I was really upset about it. But in the end, once I'd calmed down, I could only think to myself, well, you know, um, hopefully somebody's going to fed their family out of that. So I, I didn't mind that. I mean, <laughs> I've been, I had one attempted mugging Um, but the guy was so half-arsed about it. He just didn't get away with anything. It was almost, he he, he was wearing his, well, I'm supposed to be a villain t-shirt so I can see a tourist over there. He looks a bit vulnerable because he's got a broken arm. I'll have a go. But, um, when I just, um, tugged back a little bit, um, he just backed off and left. So it left me shaken, um, because Mm. I hadn't expected it. And this guy was so fast, but, um, yeah. No, other than that, Jim, things happen to me all of the time, but they tend to involve hospitals and police stations rather than theft.
0: Yeah, that's too long of a road that we don't want to go down right now. But Sam, was it, was it you that, um, that ran into the, the money-changing issue where, you, where you, were, you sort of got into a room or something like that and you sat with somebody who uh, took the money and you were sort of waiting with one person?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. That, uh, that, you, that happened in Zimbabwe in Harare. Um, I had malaria at the time and I'd run out of money. And at that time, the black market exchange rate was huge in comparison to the bank exchange rate, as in probably three times as much, which was just massive. You know, a, a week's worth of money um, I could travel for a month in um, um, in Zimbabwe with it. So you used the money changers, and um, yeah, well, these guys saw me coming, and because I was still wobbly from the malaria, I wasn't firing on all cylinders, and. Um, I just let them do so many things that um, I just never would have done. But the classic was, you know, that they took the money from me and the guy said, right, I'm just going to go and get your money for you. And out, out the door he went and never came back. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't believe that I had fallen for something as stupid as that. And the thing that was worst about that was it was only £20, but that £20 was worth 80 quid to me. But to put it even more in perspective, the £20... You know, I had that um, horrible accident in um, Tanzania and um, a captain, a retired captain from the Tanzanian army had um, basically rescued me and just a huge amount of of help. His pension from the Tanzanian army each year was 20 pounds. Oh, wow. wow. And I had just fritted 20 pounds on a stupid, dodgy deal that I knew better. And this was his pension to look after his wife and his two kids. Um, so that put things really into perspective for me, but I've headed off down a rabbit hole there, haven't I? But, um, yeah, I mean, fortunately I, um, I've been lucky because I tend to do things fairly slowly and think about things like that. And I pay attention, um, to the scams that are going around and there is a circuit and there are scams. There are websites nowadays that you can go on. You're heading into a different country and you can look them up and see what sort of scams are going on in that particular country. And there are some absolute gems around, um, and one of my top tips for heading into when you're heading into a new country or to a new city, besides checking online, is when you check into the first hotel or hostel or whatever in a city, is talk to the staff. They're absolutely brilliant. They know what the scams are because they've had bedaggled travelers coming in with very upset expressions. And, of course, they're asking why. And so they're learning what the scams are. But one of the ones that was classic in um, South America involved bird poop. So you'd be walking along, (laughs) exploring, rubbernecking, and um, then you'd suddenly feel this wet sensation on your shoulder. And you'd look over and there was a white splodge on it. And it looked just as if a bird had flown overhead and unfortunately had zapped you um, with its – yes, anyway, moving rapidly on. Anyway, the scam artist has actually flicked that on you. And he rushes over with a cloth what he's magically pulled out of his pocket and um, insists on rubbing you down and getting you clean and apologizing for the birds of his city and all of this sort of stuff. And all the time while he's doing that, he's picking your pocket. Or a mate of his is picking your pocket too. And I watched this happen. And these guys are so fussed. It's incredible. And the victim never has a clue that their pockets are being picked.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's, a cool, That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Shirley and Brian, how about you guys? Did, did you fall for anything? Did you uh, run into well, anything? I, I was, I, I was going to say, I got one back
6: on the money exchanges for you, Sam. I ripped one off. Oh, good, so, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I'm going to go back to that first Brian. thing. It says, why do travelers get away with crime? And then yeah. we have Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
6: No, no. It happened on our first trip, and it was—I think it was our first real border crossing into Turkey. And um, this uh, young guy came up to me, and, and you know, you check out the money exchange as you go along, and often you'll get a better rate with the money exchanges at the border, anyway. So we did a bit of negotiation, and I, um, Shirley was in the the female queue to get in, and I was in the male queue, I think. Uh, we
4: were going into Iran,
6: I think. Uh, no. Anyway, we wherever uh, one of those, one of those, stations. more and, different countries, and um and uh I did really well, and I get in the queue, and next thing, I was a tap on my shoulder from the next. Excuse me, sir, I've made a terrible mistake, <laughs> <laughs> and he had too. <laughs> it was something like a hundred. Oh, it was know, huge. It was, it was like, almost like a hundred US dollars worth of mistake he'd made. Wow. Uh, I um. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't rip him off. We we um, uh, gave him um, the correct amount that we negotiated back. So, um, but there you go. So they make mistakes too.
5: Mm. But
4: um, what was saying about? Um, I noticed one story did have a broken bone in it. But I'll let that one pass. Being <laughs> um, <having>, well <laughs> with malaria and being ripped off by the money uh, changes the one time we were badly ripped off, I was suffering from altitude sickness and I'd been sick in bed for a few days and we had to press on. So we got to a border and um, it wasn't a money changer who ripped us off. It was a member of the military who um, gave us a piece of paper, which he said was our um, insurance that you need to travel into each country. You need to get a new insurance policy. And it was all officially stamped and We trundled on and within about 10 kilometres we were stopped by some more um, military uh, who wanted to see our papers and when we showed them this isn't insurance and they wanted to fine us. And Brian just kept on talking and and, um, demanding to see their superior and in the end they got a bit nervous and told us to move on and the same thing happened again. So clearly that was a scam where the guy from the military at the border was selling dodgy insurance, uh, not insurance. He was selling a piece of paper with stamps on it, and um, and then he had people further down the road who were taking bribes to let you press on because you had uh, the incorrect paperwork. Oh, so right. that's something you've really got to be on your metal about because you just don't know where the ripoffs are going to come from.
2: And, and I am just, just like to end on that too. Could have been yeah. the guys yeah. selling the selling it, or it could be the guys trying to say it's fake and it's actually legit. Well, yeah, yeah. you don't well, know. That's, that's the problem. Well, we, we did
6: we did find out <laughs> it was fake, but um, yeah, it was the same thing that Sam suffered. He was suffering from malaria. Shirley was uh, really crook, and I was concerned about her. And I wasn't on my game. Um, I hadn't done my research properly because we were rushing to get it. It was Colombia to Peru. Uh, we were crossing mm. into, I think, and um, uh, it was um, a- and. The price for his insurance was uh, a lot more than when we got the proper insurance. It was, uh, I think, about 40 or 50 U.S. dollars, and it was like $10 when we actually bought it.
0: Oh, so the so, crook wasn't that bad. He
2: gave you a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Side, thanks.
2: Thanks. Yeah, we had a similar thing in Kenya. We bought insurance in Kenya in the customs building from somebody behind a desk that was supposed to be good for Kenya, Tanzania. Um, Zimbabwe and Malawi and Namibia. And we got like two countries down and this is not good here. This is no good. This, you need to buy new insurance. And this is from the customs official at you know in the proper customs building. So that was a scam too, because we thought it was for all the countries. Customs union. Yeah, right. Mm. Not so. So I, I think you're going to get ripped off. I think Like Sam said, eh, you know, you you don't worry about it too much. You you just can't get all wrapped up about it. It's not going to do you any good. Somebody's going to get you. Don't worry about it.
4: And when it's a corrupt corrupt official, there's really not a lot you can do about it.
6: Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. No, no, we we had to um, uh, pay a, a guy for a stamp. Um, which was only a, two dollars or something,
1: but when you do his top draw, straight into
6: the top draw. Yeah, Christmas oh,
1: yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Very you, you can con- contact um, embassies from different countries that you're coming to and say, right, okay, what do I need? And some um, embassies are actually happy to tell you information like that. And yeah, yeah, you get it from this this office and in that border crossing, or and it'll cost you this much and it'll last you that long and so on. But that's not normal. It's still worth a try, I think. But yeah. A lot of um, these scams. It comes down to if it looks too good, then it probably is.
0: Yeah, Michelle, how about you? What's your experience been?
3: Oh gosh, I've I've had a few. I, I think I remember I've had a, a, a mixture of um, experiences, both with what who I think are are public officials, kind of uh, asking for a bit of a bribe. That that only happened a couple of times. Once there was a border between El Salvador and, and I think it was, is it Honduras? I have to think. Or no, it was going into Nicaragua that was a famous, uh, kind of along the coast that was famous with travelers, at least at the time, this was six, seven years ago. Um, for some, whoever the guards were that were working the border, they were famous for trying to get travelers, especially motorcyclists, to pay their quote, unquote, fees, which were 30 to $50 U.S. to get um, expedited to cross the border. But really, it just turned out that it, it was them lining their own pockets. Um, <clears throat> so I, I had a heads up about that one. And we actually crossed at a different border crossing then in order to avoid that. But crossing in from Colombia to Venezuela, um, as an American, it was it was after Chavez was gone, uh, but Americans were really not welcome. And so it, it was really related to the fact that I had an American passport. So when I approached the border, um, uh, the guy at the immigration office just said, look, we, we don't let Americans in um, unless, you you know, you want to see if there's anything you can do special to to make this more possible. Maybe if you give me a little bit of a gift or something, I can take it to my supervisor and see if he'll uh, reconsider. Maybe we'll let an American into the country. And at the time that I was going, you know, Venezuela was not that popular. And um, not that many writers or people that had blogged had had been putting information out on the internet about it. And I really wanted to go check it out. So I think I wound up giving the guy a $20 bill. And I have really yeah. mixed feelings about that because I know that that, you know, reinforces that kind of behavior and it, it starts something, a stream of income. If they continue to hold people hostage for for bribery to get into their country, so I, I've learned since then. But you know, at times you just kind of have to make your decision based on the information that you had at that time. And uh, anyway, it kind of came down to this voluntary gift, wink, wink. And so I paid twenty bucks and got across the border. But I've not ever had. You know, anything that I got stuck with from officials. I've had a couple of pickpockets, and actually that was in Europe, once in Italy and once in France. Um, but nothing major. I think I lost a pair of sunglasses. So, in all my years of traveling and having been to 70 some countries, lose a pair of sunglasses, I count myself very lucky. I, I've never, ever had anything stolen off of my bike, and I've left. Helmets. I try not to tempt fate. I'm pretty good about locking stuff down and not risking stuff. But I've I've really been lucky in that regard. I've never had anything stolen. So,
1: Michelle, that, you had a, a nail on the head there. Um, if you put yeah. temptation in people's way, then some people will be tempted.
3: Yeah, yeah, so. yeah I think that's true.
4: But Thank Michelle, you. we're like you. We've never had anything stolen. But on our first, well, once on our first trip. We'd traveled from England back all the way through the Middle East and Asia, and we got to Darwin, and we started heading south through Australia, and we were in Broken Hill in the caravan park, and some kids broke into the cabin we were staying in, and they stole some cans of whiskey and Coke out of the fridge. Mm -hmm. So 12 months on the road through all those countries, and that was the only time
0: we were robbed. (laughs) I've heard Australia's bad for that. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know it's, 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 it's a whiskey and coke thing isn't it Jim? yeah that's right yeah. And it, it doesn't make you wonder why there's whiskey and coke in the fridge when they're only there for a night but anyway let's not get into that there's there's an article i came across in forbes uh from 2019 i think it was november there's a guy that said he's he worked for the fbi for 25 years and, and he's now is he's got this safety and security company that uh, he, he consults american travelers um, about traveling and basically what, what he was saying is that it's not so much that there's, that there's so much crime or, or people out to get you in other countries. What, what his take is a, after 25 years of dealing with this sort of thing is that it's when people, they, they lose their common sense. They let their guard down. And and that's not so much, that doesn't really speak to um, your story about, you know, a corrupt official so much, but the little things, you know, the, the, like being pickpocketed, leaving your stuff in a hotel room, flashing cash somewhere. Um, and, and Sam, you mentioned getting drunk, so I, ha- I have that on my list as well, like the, the don't get drunk thing, real big mistake. It's those type of things this guy is saying that really is the bulk of what happens to people when they travel, letting your guard down. Yeah, I've
2: seen that many, many times. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a Colombian traveler on a motorcycle come from Colombia all the way through Central America and all the risks there. And he was very careful with his stuff and uh, just making sure that he didn't get anything stolen because, you know, he's from Colombia, which where lots of things get stolen on a regular basis. And he was super careful, came to Vancouver, parked in an underground parking lot, left his camera in his tank bag, came back an hour later and it was gone. And he was so disappointed. I mean, come on, just maybe Canada and maybe the country of nice, friendly people and all that, but come on, <laughs> just don't let your guard down. Don't be stupid. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to, like you said. And the other one I always tell people is, if you went to the favorite nightlife part of your town, which is always a little bit dodgy and seedy, and at two o'clock in the morning, you're drunk out of your mind and buying drinks for the house, et cetera, what do you think's going to happen? And it doesn't matter whether it's your hometown or a country or town halfway around the world, same thing. Somebody's going to see you as an easy target. Well, and it's not
0: guaranteed. It's not like it's going to happen, but I mean, you're certainly setting yourself up for it. Oh, are you ever? I mean, it's just, I mean, if you get robbed, don't be surprised. (laughs) Consider it part of the
6: experience. Yeah, well, that's that's right, Sam. But, you know, having locked up quite a few people, let me tell you, nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing. <laughs> and <then> I, uh,
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about nothing. I I knew we were going to go there. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I thought,
0: Brian, you're just opening up you. a can of worms here.
5: <laughs> <laughs> God,
0: I, we will
2: say that, that, that we true. understand what you're saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really interesting to me, Jim, that um you you gave us this topic um to to about because it is something that comes up all of the time, and I hear this when I'm in conversation with people who are considering going. Um, traveling for the first time. And it impresses me, sadly, how many people, um, it's right at the forefront of their mind. They have a real fear of of being um, robbed or ripped off. Um, And part of it is getting people to think calmly and with common sense and to follow a list of basic rules. and if they do get ripped off for some reason, actually have a laugh at themselves being such complete and plonkers, learn from the experience, make sure other people learn from it too, and just get on with it. Because mostly getting something stolen isn't the, the end of the world. What is the end of the world from a trapper's point of view is if they let fear put them off actually going in the first place.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think what that you're is. saying there is you're, when you're talking about, um, you know, getting ripped off, the other thing you can do is is don't set yourself up for big losses. So, mm-hmm. so one thing yeah. is, you know, don't have everything expensive. Don't flash the the expensive stuff. You know, there's a lot of travelers that we get on, on Adventure Rider Radio that travel with, you know, um, all low-end stuff, I would say, dirt cheap stuff. They don't go buy expensive bike. They are not buy the expensive gear because if something happens to it, they don't want to have that big price tag as attached to it, like you said about your camera, Sam. The big thing that bothered you about your camera was was the pictures. They were the real value. That was yep. the real value with it, more so than the than the actual device itself. But I mean, if you take a like a brand new iPhone or something with you, well, yeah, you're probably gonna you know have a few tears if somebody steals it, and you've got to put out another I you don't know thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars to replace that that product. There's a couple of
6: tricks that, you know I used I used before was that um, um, I actually had a, a, a spare wallet which uh, I kept um, expired cards in and a little bit of cash. And that was, um, that if you ever got held up, that's what you could produce. And that's we used to. mugger's um, wallet. Yeah, yeah, wallet. yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and I, that's, I a great idea. that's a great idea. You don't have to have much in it um, so it's not too bulky and you, you just put your cash elsewhere.
4: And we met a, a New Zealand traveller who um, had a really schmick expensive camera and uh, he had gaffer tape on the corners of it and, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, d- bits Disguised. that really it had it in a really crappy old case. So it looked like a rubbish camera, mm-hmm. but it actually was a really beautiful new camera, but he just dressed it down.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah. good idea. Yeah. I met a guy that's who nice. who did the same thing with his camera and um, I went out shopping with him when he actually got the thing and he'd been looking at this thing. We'd been sort of traveling on, to, on and off together for a couple of weeks and um, he said, right, that's it. I'm going to get this camera. I've thought long enough and so we went into the camera shop and this was in Nairobi um and into the camera shop we went and he bought this camera and of course the sales staff were all excited because this guy was buying an all singing all dancing camera the first thing he did when we went outside the shop and he'd already got rid of all the packaging was go to the pavement and rub it up and down on the pavement and he put gravel rash scrapes all over the thing i said what are you doing and he said does this look like a new expensive camera now and i said well no point taken
6: yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, That's yeah. exactly. Uh, and, and as far as bike security goes, I, I used um, I had a a, um, uh, a lock um, for the disc lock on the front wheel. I carried a cable, and wherever I could, I'd cable the bike to a firm object, and through the back wheel, through the the um, uh, the frame of the bike, because there was a guy that we'd travelled with in uh, met up with him in Tajikistan, I think was Heading back through Europe, camped uh, in a campground uh, with everything in his bike and woke up in the morning. Got out of his tent, and the bike was gone the whole lot, including his boots. And, and the bike was actually <laughs> locked, wow. including his boots, because they just come along, pick up the bike, and walk away with it. Yeah. But
4: just a little hint about the, um, the disc lock put a piece of tape uh, over the key, ro- the, the hole where the key goes on the bike. So you don't get on the bike, turn it on and ride off with the disc lock still
0: oh, on You'd it. have to be a complete idiot to do that. People do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Jim,
4: I think <laughs> that's a she bit was, harsh. Really,
6: really well, you care. set it, it up. Big, it was a <laughs> big boy, all right? It was a big
2: boy. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Just that little reminder that there's something else you have to do before you start the bike.
2: <laughs> Yeah. i oh, orange curly
0: cable. It's just a shame somebody didn't have a video going when, when Brian did that <laughs> because that, yeah. would, that would be
2: priceless. They're
4: always the moment you miss. You yeah. said
2: it was me. <laughs> <laughs> we know.
3: <laughs> and Jim, to your point about bike selection and kind of choosing some gear, I did exactly that before I went to South America when I was crossing into Mexico. You know, I didn't know what to expect first if I was going to, you know, enjoy it or... Second of all, if it was something that was dangerous, you know, what, what kind of things were going to happen to me if I was going to be on the road for potentially a year and it turned out to be two years. So I actually chose a KLR, but the reason I first chose it is because it was a bike that I really felt if I had to, you know, bug out and walk away from it, or if I got robbed, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And I felt like if I had to make a choice about fighting to protect my things, I wouldn't be as concerned and wouldn't be as protective or hesitant of giving up the KLR. Um, I had, I took an old laptop. I took a, a not so great uh, DSLR camera. Um, I made choices with almost all of my kit and equipment that, Hey, I mean, if I have to fly home because of, you know, a family emergency or if I'm ill, and if I literally have to walk away from everything, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And rather than taking like a twenty or $30,000 motorcycle setup down there, that was the choice that I made. So, yeah, but I, I mean, I think, you know, everything has to do with what they're comfortable with. And, you know, you make choices that, you know, fit with, with your budget, your comfort level and, and how you feel like you might react if you're in a bad situation.
0: Yeah, well, that's why Brian takes the BMW, right, Brian, and so you can walk away from
3: it—the
0: old thing. <laughs> well,
4: it's worth nothing now. Well, it's
6: three hundred twenty-five thousand on it right now. That's what I mean. It's, it's not worth drama. nothing. You, you can walk away from that.
4: But the thing that you must also remember—I uh, mean, we're telling the, the the horror stories. Most places, your bike and your your really, you know, your gear and your helmet—they're going to be as safe as houses because if a local rode off on your bike, Michelle, or our bike or Sam's bike, they're going to look like a thief. Absolutely. They're going to be so obvious. It's going to be so obvious it's not theirs. So, you know, the small things like cash and your wallet and the camera, things like that that they might be able to sell to places, you know, your iPhone or an iPad or whatever. But the big ticket items in the majority of countries, except um, perhaps Europe where um, those sort of machines are far more common, but in places like Asia and South America, People aren't going to knock off your bike. Well, maybe they are, but it's not going to be something that's going to happen every day of the week.
2: Mm-hmm. We had an oh, interesting story great. with a traveler from, uh, from the UK who was in South America with her husband. Um, they were both on F650 GSs, and her bike disappeared one night. Well, she wrote to me, and we wrote to all the local communities. This was in Brazil. And all the local communities spread the word to all the local clubs that they knew. And three days later, they had the bike back. They found out where it was. Because, again, same thing as you were just saying, the bike was obvious. There were no other F650s in the area. So, who was seen recently on an F650? Well, that wasn't hard to find. And they got the bike back. No problem. What so,
1: fantastic yeah. camaraderie. That's just brilliant. Good yeah. stuff.
2: There are more good people
1: out there than there are kleptomaniacs, And I had to look up in the dictionary to see what kleptomaniacs actually means.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like another. For a story, a traveler that everybody here knows was in Morocco in a campground. And one night he heard something going on outside and he wasn't quite sure. And he ruffled a tent and made a noise and looked out. And then there was nobody there. Uh, So that day he went into town and bought a rat trap and put one in each of his saddlebags. During the night, he heard a whack, ow. (laughs) Didn't do anything, just left it. Got up next morning and as he was checking out, there was the campground manager with his hand bandaged.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what had happened to Brian if he did that? (laughs) <laughs> it'd be much what? like the disc lock <laughs> you, The morning you'd reach in It'd be whack It'd be your hand Shirley, what did you start?
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, Brian I, I couldn't resist yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Sam. Thanks, Jim. You know, I, it's, it's interesting even looking at um, you, Sam, you mentioned that most people that that is one of the big things that they ask about is, are they, are they going to be victims of some sort of crime by traveling and traveling by motorcycle? And I, and I found this um, on a crime journal. It was saying they did some research. They got people to fill out information on an app. It doesn't really matter how they did it, but they had about 13 or 1400 people fill out that have been travelers, young travelers, fill out this information and talk about their experience traveling. And it was a very, very small percentage of people that uh, that that filled this out. That actually ran into problems while they were traveling. And the sort of the rough uh, the rough findings in, in this this study were that, uh, or the uh, the actually I forgot to tell you at the outset what they were trying to do was see if it was worse, if crime was worse, or or your chance of, of falling victim to a crime was worse as a traveler than at home. And what they found was it wasn't, it was actually less as a traveler. And, and yeah. it, there was very, um, it it's a small sample, you know, it's a, a small study that they did. So it's not really um, conclusive, but it is interesting to see that somebody came up with that, that sort of information because it does seem to be such a hot topic for people.
3: I, sure. I just think is- have to say, I would agree with exactly what you're saying though, or what the, the study findings were, because I think as a traveler, I, I can't tell you how many countries I've been to. And people that are locals seem honestly to be looking out for me, or at least it feels that way because they'll be coming up, you know, left and right. If I'm pulled over and have a map sprawled across my tank bag, or I'm, you know, digging through and looking for something, people will always pull over and stop to make sure that my bike is running. I don't need help. Do I have water? Do I need directions? Am I okay? And I feel like I get way more of that in other countries or when I'm traveling than I do at home. So I, I, I... I believe there's a lot of good people out there. And of course you have to use common sense. And I'm very careful to proactively not look like a victim. I go into a place looking like I know where I'm at. I know where I'm headed. This isn't my first rodeo. Um, And I'm really alert um, and, and just proactive about my own safety. And I think that makes a big difference for me. I I do research, which I think makes a big difference when I'm going into a country. I know, particularly for Central and South America, I researched and read blogs about what the border crossing was like, what to expect. How much time it took, what the fees were. Some blogs even had uh, photos of the uh, customs and immigration buildings. So I knew sort of what I was looking for when I showed up. And when you get to a border crossing, I think we all know you're you're oftentimes rushed with money changers and fixers and all these people that you know, of course, I'll help you. You know, do you need directions? Do you need me to translate and and all of those things. And having some resources before you get into that position really, really makes the difference for you for being set up for success and staying safer.
1: I agree. And I think that you hit um, a nail on the head very firmly there with the vulnerability thing. Um, You can do things to stop yourself feeling so vulnerable. And if you feel less vulnerable, then you look less vulnerable. And if you look less vulnerable, then you look less like a victim. But the other side of what you were saying that I picked up on was that actually when you're travelling, you are vulnerable anyway. And that does mean that you're more open to people wanting to help you rather than take advantage of you. And there is a balance there that we just need to try and remember. But, a lot of not being vulnerable um, victim-wise, is down to having the basics right, isn't it? And I know we've talked about these before, but it probably doesn't do any harm just to to mention them again. And here are some of them. When you're in a crowd, walk with your bag in front of you, um, zip up your pockets. And if you've got any outside pockets, really outside pockets, then empty them. Because Pick pockets, will undo zips and you won't have a clue. Don't put things down. Yeah, um, you know why I'm saying that. Um, don't hang your bag on the back of a cafe chair. Put on, on your knee underneath the table. That way somebody walking past can't just pick it off the back of the chair and be gone before you can react. If you're carrying money, and it's a good quantity of money, carry it in five, at least five different places. Um, in your jacket, down your shorts, in your bottom of your shoe, Whatever. Um, be careful of where you're using your credit cards. Busier places are better. And if you can, have two of you um, there. So one of them's, one of you is losing the credit card and the other person is keeping watch. Um, draw cash in the same way where there are two of you, if you possibly can. If you use a shoulder bag, Um, or a day pack, something like that, stitch guitar strings into the shoulder straps so it's much harder for the slash and grab guys to get you. And don't leave anything of of value lying around in your room. Grant, you mentioned that before, I think. Um, When you walk away from your bike, is there anything that's easy to get at that you'd really miss? You can't take everything with you, but if there's something that you'd really miss, make sure it's tucked out of sight. When you're staying in places at nighttime, if you can, park your bike off the road and preferably with a lightweight cover on, out of sight, out of mind. Don't wear bling. Try and look much more like your tidy peasant. That works better. Um, if you hang dollars all over your bike, then you are making yourself a target. And take it slow. Think about what you're doing. Oh, and if you're feeling vulnerable and as if about something nasty is about to happen, don't be too proud to run. Running works.
2: Yes. Yeah. That was the best reaction. <laughs>
0: And if you don't have common sense, I, I did find a website where you can buy common sense if you want to write this down.
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> where
0: what is it? Quick.
3: Is this a continuing
4: <laughs> theme from the dehydrated <laughs> water?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
4: right. <laughs> and the ostrich eggs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we
4: yeah. in the same shop.
0: So Sam, I was gonna ask if you had any tips. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> there was there was a lot, and you had them coming fast and furious. So I was I was having a little trouble keeping up with you on there, but but so many so many great things that you've got in there, um, and and there's there's of course there's so many more. I, mean, I guess we could go on unless and, and there's one thing about a crime, and, and and Brian, I'm sure I'm sure you know all about this, is that they, they just find new ways, don't they? I mean, you know, you, you fix one thing, and there's going to be something else. So I mean, it sort of goes back to I, I think Michelle said it, and, and somebody else said it. You, you're going to get taken you know, at, at some point you're liable to fall victim to something. I guess the two things that, that pop into my mind from what we've all said here is uh, one, make sure the loss isn't going to be big by having something that you can handle to lose. And then two, la- like Sam said, laugh at yourself and think, okay, well, I learned something from it.
4: That's a story to tell. And three, can I just add in one there, Jim? Yeah. For every one person who's going to rip you off, there'll be a hundred who want to help you.
6: Yeah. Mm, yes. That's a good yes. point. Don't, don't, be, don't be put off by it because, you know, it's a rare, rare, rare event. And, and uh, when um, Michelle and uh, Sam went through their list there, I can't think of anything else to add in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Very cool. I've just thought
1: of one thing. Go ahead. Um, if you do get ripped off for something of value, do go and report it to the police because your insurance company is going to need to have that police report before they pay yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great
3: idea, Yeah. And I think too, um, just for perspective, keep in mind that that what you see as an item of value or maybe more so an item that you don't think is valuable in a foreign country where people don't have much and they're really, you know, trying to find any way to survive. Things that you may not think have any value are very valuable to them. There's a different perception of value. Um, So just... Be aware of that. And I, I really felt like if I was missing anything or if something happened, I, I even though it didn't, I had this perception in advance that if somebody needs to take something, then they need it more than me. And that's okay. If that's what they need to do to feed their family, it's not the end of the world. It's a cost of traveling through you know an impoverished part of the world. and And so I saw it from that perspective and I think that helped. But I also traveled with things like an RFID wallet, um, I kept a helmet lock on the ready um, around my Bark Buster so I could actually lock my helmet onto my bike. And as we kind of said earlier, just really tried to reduce temptation. Um, okay. I used hard luggage. That's not everybody's cup of tea, but I was able to lock things on my bike and that helped reduce how much stuff was exposed. And then I had a, a waterproof gear bag on top of my bike on the rack and I carried... Um, they make these, I don't know if, if you guys call it airline cable, but I call it airline cable. It's like a net made of airline cable yeah. that I could wrap around that bag so that people couldn't walk away with it and actually locked it to the frame of my bike. So there's, there's a few things that you can do to really try and, and button things down if that's a concern.
0: Can you talk about the RFID wallet?
3: An RFID wallet. Yeah. Um, those are specifically designed so that people that are walking by with scanners that can actually scan and clone your credit card numbers. Um, it protects that frequency that's on your credit cards um, so that they're not able to clone those just by walking up next to you. Yeah. We've
1: very, got a little one. Yeah. we've yeah, got, we've one got, one got just, two of them.
3: Just yeah. carries yeah. their cards. Yeah. That's all.
1: Yeah, yes. it's funny. I'm, I've got one in my hand at this very moment. It was sitting in front of me because I was packing some gear earlier today.
0: I, I saw some uh, backpacks in uh, in the store with them advertising. That they have them built into the back the uh, the backpack, I guess. Although I don't understand why somebody would want to put their wallet in their backpack because that would be a no right off the bat. Yeah. Brian, what are you going to mm. say? Yeah.
6: I was going to say uh, I've used those nets before too, Michelle, and I found them very awkward to to put on the on the bag, and then I just uh, resorted to um, a cable that I wrapped around the bag and then uh, padlocked to the bike, and yeah. that was just just enough deterrent for, to stop someone taking it. Yeah, the,
4: the, if you can get too. the net that actually fits snug. No? around your bag yeah. is perfect, but sometimes that's a bit hard to get one that matches the size of your bag. The cable. Especially
2: when you buy things and the bag expands oh, a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the bag is designed to expand, Brian. That's the of <laughs> it oh, <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Thank you. She doesn't need any encouragement,
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> the RFID wallet, um, and that's, of course, for, for theft of your, your credit card information, but identity theft is apparently becoming a, a bit of a problem for travellers. Because um, we're going places and, and using our credit cards, et cetera, and more information. So um, I, I know that some are, are recommending one of the things you need to do is don't take everything with you. Only take what you need. So you don't want to take all of your credit cards. I think, I think uh, Grant, you've said three different credit cards or what you're saying. Is, is
2: that what you said yeah, you should take? I, three gives you good backup because the two Visa cards, there, there are two different networks, which in North America and Europe, et cetera, Um, interconnect just fine but in some countries they don't there's only one of them Um, that's getting to be less and less of a problem but you want to have those two and then something different maybe there's no visa today who knows their system could be down so have a MasterCard or an American Express
0: Mm-hmm. definitely yeah. i mean, remember graham field the, the problem he had he was uh he compromised with his credit card and it went through several credit cards he ended up being stuck with with uh i think he had three credit cards on him he ended up being stuck not being able to book a hotel not being able to, to book a flight back but remember we were talking i think we were we were recording while he was traveling when that happened
1: yeah he was in india wasn't he yeah right wow. yeah. yeah that's right
0: yeah so it's yeah.
6: A- Identity theft is a, is a big thing, but um, yeah, we do that. We do have three three credit cards uh, all the time twenty eight degrees and the the visas and and um, uh, that's just essential nowadays. I think and be careful where you use um, your um, your credit cards. You know, just oh. yeah, just just yeah, just of um, well, fishing at AP, ATMs is another big one. If you can go into a bank, do that, um, and then just use cash. Don't use your credit card to buy small purchases in in stores because quite often they they've got cloning machines. Well, mm-hmm. not often, but but they ha- they do have cloning machines um, that can take all your
0: all your credit card details. So. Um, just be careful, I suppose. And it's not that any of this isn't happening at home. It's just that when you're traveling, you're all of a sudden, and I'm going to use the word because it was already said, vulnerable, aren't you? You're, yeah. You're yeah. in a situation where a simple thing, like, you know, if you're in your own country, province, state, whatever it is, and you have a problem, somebody steals your motorcycle, for instance, well, okay, now, you know, insurance is going to get involved and you're going to have to phone and get a ride or call a cab or whatever. You're in a foreign country. Well, you probably don't have insurance that's going to cover that at all. And everything seems to change, including your itinerary and your possible vacation. You know, it could be toast yeah. at that point.
1: Jim, it, it suddenly becomes damned inconvenient, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> There's another thing that people need to watch out for, and that is um, where they're using Wi-Fi to book tickets and mm-hmm. things like that. Oh, yeah. There are so many dodgy Wi-Fi setups around. Yeah. And um, just just don't do it. Only use ones that you know are secure. Um, your identity can just be gone. That's it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well, and one of the big issues with that is people are putting their identity, like we, we, and we've talked about it here too, is putting copies of all of your your personal information and your, your passport, etc., on some, uh, maybe even a Google account, for instance, an email account. And if you compromise yourself through using some Wi-Fi system, you could lose a lot more than just a credit card. You, it could actually be yeah. full identity theft.
2: I think it's important, a little tip on that one is to have that stuff in one account, which you virtually never go to except maybe once a year to make sure the account is active and you actually use a different account.
0: Mm, Good point. That's 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 Very cool. The other one um, is um, social media. You know, as far as safety, personal safety, and I guess this goes a lot for people traveling alone. I did read about it for women travelers as well. Posting on social media does set you up for something or could, could rather set you up for something when you're giving too much of your itinerary away. So you're telling people where you're going or, or where you are, et cetera, et cetera. There's a possibility with that. Uh, another one that goes along with that is is disabling the geotagging from your photos. You post the photo and it has the geotagging information. Uh, there's other reasons yeah. to take that off as well, but, but that's, th- those are common ones.
4: And the one thing with social media is it is setting you up for a burglary at home. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. People yeah. know you're I talked, to, I talked to one of the travel insurance companies last year about this. Um, I was writing an article about it, and um, travel insurance company told me that one of the first things that they do is have a look and see how much information has gone on social media um, about the person before they um, carry, they start even make, deciding to make a claim. Oh, what, yeah. Do you mean
0: they will void? Well, of course, we're talking insurance here. They do everything they can to not pay, but um, <laughs> yeah. y- they will void somebody's <laughs> coverage if they put too much on social media? Is that what they told you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're saying that I'm away and I'm going to be away for this length of time and you've got loads of other stuff on your, um, let's say, Facebook page, which is showing photographs of your house and your back garden and all of this sort of stuff, then the insurance company's going to say, well, hey, you've set yourself up perfectly here. Yeah? Some unscrupulous has come along and thought, right, give it." We so can take our time with this one, mates.
0: I guess the tip with that is to make sure you're posting pictures of the neighbors two doors down. <laughs> <laughs>
6: you know, you know, with your GPS, I don't even put in um, the go home address, my home address. When you put press go home, it takes yeah. me to, to, to you know, just you know, if it gets stolen and someone can keep an eye on your house when you when you go out, well, you know, they can't find the house off, you, off your GoPro. Brian, oh, yeah, didn't,
1: didn't I hear that um, your go-home address is the vineyard down the road? <laughs> what a good idea.
0: You <laughs> like, know,
6: like you, Sam, the pub on the corner. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Your phone is definitely another one because there, there's so much data on your phone, and um, it's it's an obvious thing. But password protecting your phone is a, I think, a given. And maybe some tracking tools for for tracking it. Um, I, I don't know how how effective that's going to be, but you certainly want to be careful with what uh, information you have on your phone. In particular, like Brian, you mentioned there that you don't have a go home thing. Most phones will actually know where home is now because we never shut our phones off and they're monitoring yeah, everything in the true. background all the time i know with uh, apple products they'll tell you where your home is they don't you don't need to be told they can tell you where yeah, your home is much, yeah it's very true yeah
5: my,
4: my iphone fans phone that are so. smarter than us
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. me too. and my, my phone's iPhone. not that smart but you know it's aggravating yeah yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mine has facial recognition as a security. So instead of a password, it's upgraded, that it has to see my face to unlock the phone.
1: Mm, I
0: thought you were going to say so you can recognize your friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what we need to do, Michelle, is to download a photograph of you from social media and we're winning.
3: Oh, see, that's the hack, isn't it? Mm, Good thinking, work. Sam. Does that work? <laughs> I have no idea. I'll have to try it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, w- I have a no, so. nasty, suspicious mind, hey. <laughs> but Michelle you, stay you one you step ahead of us. Do you have a choice with that?
0: Can you disable that?
3: I can. I can change it back to uh, a pin. And it used to be a six digit pin. And instead, I enabled the facial recognition, which is all well and good until I have a really bad hair day and my phone locks (laughs) me out. (laughs) (laughs) Brian has facial recognition. And when I look at the phone, it just immediately says pin.
4: So I'm really glad that I don't look like Brian, according to the iPhone. That's good.
0: There are some, um, some, I think many phones will allow you to wipe the phone remotely if it's stolen. So, you know, if somebody's trying, they've got your phone, they've taken it and that's a loss. You're just going to have to deal with it, but you can log onto a computer remotely and tell it to wipe your phone. That
2: way, protect your data. I I run an iPhone 6. It's no loss. Oh, one of the new ones. (laughs) (laughs) It was new when I bought it. Yeah, I
0: think there's a new version out, Grant. You might want to just check. I think so. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think they're on 12 now, aren't they? Yeah, Grant, mine's my six yeah. as well. It does everything I need it to do. Yeah. Um, just listen, can I go sideways just a moment on this? Because um, a while back, we did a show where we were talking about photography and um, downloading photographs or uploading photographs and that sort of stuff. And I know I'm a complete technological idiot. So I've only just come across this, but two two friends that I talked about, it didn't, un- didn't hear about it either. I'm, I'm amazed to find that you can now f- um, get large capacity, USBs that you can plug into the bottom of your phone and download all of your photos so that you can just easily store them, carry them, um, make more capacity on your phone, transfer them to a computer using the USB angle um, when you get to a computer and all of this sort of stuff. So um, I thought I'd just mention that because it was new to me. Um, What a handy tool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that's been around great. for a while, yeah, they, right? There. They used to have hard drives that did the same thing. They were bigger and bulkier, of course, but same sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that I
2: knew
1: about, yeah. but I didn't know about these high-capacity USBs. Oh,
2: right. mm-hmm. yeah. well, even 256 gigabytes is easy and dirt cheap these days. That's that's mm-hmm. an awful lot of pictures. Yep. So, yeah, back up your phone. We've we said this a billion times, you know, back up, back up, back up your photos. You know, until you've got at least three copies in three different places or formats, it's not even remotely close to backed up.
3: And those are our most valuable things.
0: And Sam, if you'd backed up your camera, those thirty-six film shots, you wouldn't have had to worry about it.
1: God, wouldn't it have been uh, nice to have digital photography around then? Oh, don't oh, talk about would have about taken it. I don't so talk many about. more photos.
2: <laughs> oh I, I took a thousand photos on on our trip just on film. Start- on film, start calculating wow. what that cost.
1: How many banks or travellers did you rob to afford to do that? <laughs> yeah, um, to buy a well, house. the
2: credit cards have a use, you know. <laughs> and when you arrive home and you owe the credit card company more than you made in the last couple of years, well, that's okay. <laughs> or not. And, and, you, and you, you had to carry the film in a, a, a lead-lined bag, bag to stop oh, yeah. the x-rays. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah glory i won't tell you about the the uh fight i well i shouldn't call it a fight the discussion i had with somebody at one of the x-ray machines at an airline that was an episode and a half i can tell you (laughs) yes
6: i look back i have heard heard that i think you've told that story to me grant (laughs) 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 yes
0: anyone else with any more tips before we wrap this thing up is there anything we didn't cover
3: um, the only thing that I wanted to mention—it was kind of on my list—about just a way to say to st- to stay safe in general, um, especially if I'm traveling alone, I, which I I try to travel with others or have a contact in a city. I let people know where I'm going, family members offline, not in not posting it on social media. Um, but as a woman, I actually will travel with a wedding band. Um, and talk about friends ahead that are expecting me, or my husband coming to meet me so that people, and again, that's just part of that mentality of not being seen as a victim. So even when I'm traveling in a hotel or checking in or at a capground or border crossings, um, i I sometimes, if I feel like I'm at risk at all or just want some comfort level, i I will pose um, as having someone that I'm meeting up ahead. Mm -hmm. And I actually carry a whistle and I carry that in my pocket Um, just when I'm out for a hike or, you know, headed to a market down the street from the campground and just, you know, a couple of things that are small tips. I've never had really any kind of an issue where I've ever had to, you know, rely on that as a, a means of staying safe, but I do them proactively just for my own peace of mind, and maybe as a way of appearing less vulnerable.
1: Um, that's the nail you just hit on the head, mm-hmm. isn't it? You, you didn't. You made yourself not feel vulnerable, so you're not acting as if you're vulnerable, yeah. and therefore you're not attacked, attracting the chances.
3: Yeah, that's yep. very true. Yeah,
1: yeah. We had a.
6: It's, uh, it's a, it's a quote. shame. It's a. Yeah, it's a shame that a, a, a woman has to do that. But uh, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. And it's. Um, yeah.
2: It's. Uh, at one of our events, we had a self-defense course led by a woman who, I mean, I, I was I watched for a few minutes just to see what was going on. And the, and the big thing that I took away from it, and I and several other people did too, was watch how you carry yourself, how you walk, how you yeah. look. Yeah. It's all attitude. And this was especially for women, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's how you carry yourself. You could, you know, they had several women walking back and forth and everybody could pick up. The easy victim. It was obvious just from the yeah. way they walked. You know, they looked like a victim. So by the end of the thing, of course, everybody's you know standing proud and tall and looking brave. And um, it's 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 all attitude. How you feel about yourself and what you project to others makes a huge difference.
3: Absolutely, and it's something even as essential or basic as eye contact. I think a lot of women don't want to invite people looking at them, so they avoid eye contact. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in a foreign country or with men. Um, but that can be mistaken too for being vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. so I, Mm -hmm. I go into a place and I'm confident and it, it takes, it's a conscious effort for me to do that if I'm traveling alone and my heart may be racing on the inside as I'm going into a new border crossing, but Um, I also know that those are things that I consciously have to be aware of, how I'm perceived, how I'm seen, and I'm I'm keeping myself safer by just being aware and being careful. And again, kind of coming across as though this is not the first time I've been to this particular border. I know where I'm going. I I don't need anything from you. I'm, I'm safe and I'm moving forward.
1: Yeah, yeah thinking back to my backpacker days, one of the things that you never did was come out of the bus station or the railway station and um, open up your guidebook and look at the map to try and work out which <laughs> way to go. Yeah. <laughs> you would like that. And if you, if you were uncertain, then you'd go roughly in the right direction for a couple of hundred yards and then you, once you're away from the yeah. station, then you'd have a look.
5: That's but, exactly um,
1: Practising the stare is quite a useful thing as well, for male and female. Um, I travelled with a friend um, for a while and she had the stare off Pat and people would be looking at her and thinking now, can we take advantage of you? And she'd just give them this look and you could see them physically shrink and turn around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. yeah, that's the one the look. <laughs>
0: It goes without saying, be smart about where you go, right? I mean, you know, the places that you're at, I I know, um, even the, you know, if you're going into somewhere, it's all new, you, Sam, I think you've said before about getting orientated at a place before you go off and and start exploring, spend some time getting orientated, understand what's going on around you. That's a, that's a smart
1: thing to do. And do that in daylight. It's one of the reasons why Birgit and I always try and stop mid afternoon at the very latest. Um, it's particularly if we're heading into a town or you know or a city or something like that because then we can be exploring with two or three hours of daylight and oh, you're just so much less vulnerable if you've got a um, bit of a grid pattern worked out and the dodgy corners um, already identified and so on. And it's simple. And hey, you can see stuff and that's what you're there to do anyway. Well, um,
0: I think we've got that one there and, and we'll take a, a quick little break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about our rights... As a foreigner, what rights we have when we go into a foreign country, just how we can lay down the law, I guess, and how to cope with foreign law. So that's coming up after the break. This episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. FreshTracks has been around since the nineties. And what they do is they work with companies to, uh, or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, build communication skills through team building exercises. And they work with a lot of big companies like uh, Comic Relief, Pfizer, uh, Mars, Yahoo, Pfizer. Everybody's heard of Pfizer by now, haven't they? The website is freshtracks.co.uk. Of course, mention you heard them here on Raw. Thank you very much, FreshTracks. So what are our rights as a foreigner and how do we cope with foreign law? I remember the story that I was told by by a guy who was into construction. And what it was is he's from Canada. He had a friend in the States that had a construction job. And so he took the job and technically he shouldn't be working in the States, but he went down every day with his vehicle, and, he, and I think he was being a little, you know, sly about it by hiding his briefcase, et cetera, setting it aside. But he he ended up getting stopped one day, and he had a friend with him as well, and they separated them and they questioned him. And he said, um, you know, he wasn't super concerned. He thought, well, no big deal. It's, it's a friend he's working for. Yes, he's getting paid, but it's a friend. And uh, finally, he said, they, they started to get pretty tough with him. And he said, he sort of stood up out of his chair and says, look at, I'm a Canadian citizen. I've got rights. And he said, the guard shoved him back down in his seat and says, you are a foreigner in the United States of America and you have no rights. And it was, and he said, yeah. it hit him all of a sudden that, wow, I'm not protected by my country. And it's an interesting thought process to, that we can mistakenly take with us as we go into
2: other countries. Yes. We are absolutely subject to local laws. That's, that's it. Whatever is legal or not legal in your own country has zero relevance anywhere else. So it pays to be aware of what local uh, laws and rules and ways of doing things are that's different from yours.
0: So how ridiculous is the question? What are, what are my rights as a foreigner in, in a foreign country?
6: None. none. Um, yeah. basic, basically yeah. none, but unless you're a diplomat when you get diplomatic immunity. But there's no – you're not um, um, protected by your country's laws at all. Your country will help you out if you get locked up for some reason. They'll provide you with um, welfare assistance and maybe legal advice and information, but um,
1: that's it. That's interesting. I had a look at the the British Embassy because it's years since I'd done this to have a look and see what they – um what help that they can do and for example they say they cannot investigate crimes they cannot get you out of prison they cannot prevent local authorities from deporting you after your prison sentence or interfere in criminal or civil court proceedings they cannot interfere in any way with another country's processes and must respect their systems as we expect them to respect our UK laws and legal procedures however um, and then they go on to say they can't give legal advice, they can't start legal proceedings on your behalf, they can't investigate a crime, et cetera, et cetera. All they can do is give you basic information and introduce you to an English-speaking um, lawyer. Um, that's right. That's yeah, that's right. right. It's,
4: it's the same. That's the Australian right. government's um, DFAT site uh, starts with, we can't get you out of trouble. Yeah. No. you stop. Yeah. And, and you are subject to local laws but, and the only assistance they offer you is consular assistance where, as Sam said, they'll give you the name of an English-speaking lawyer. Um, they'll act as a conduit between you and your family, That's but right. they can't act as a conduit between you and your lawyer. Um, and All they can really give you is a lot of advice, and they do stress on the Australian website that it, you will be subject to the country's laws where you are, um, and that goes to capital punishment, the death penalty, Uh, and um, I don't know if many people outside of Australia would remember the Bali Nine who were kids who got busted in Bali and despite, and and our government did get very involved in that despite the protestations of our government two Australian citizens were executed in Bali and there are foreigners executed all around the world for doing stuff. Singapore Singapore has done it, yeah. So, yeah, the bottom line is, you, you know, you have no rights other than the rights of the citizens in that country.
3: And I think the the responsibility of each traveler, too, is to know what the laws are. I mean, that's not only is your perspective about your own laws at home. Laws are very different in other countries. And it's up to us as travelers to know what those are.
0: And even the interpretation of those laws, because some countries don't believe that you're innocent until proven guilty. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true.
6: But the other thing you've got to think about is your country may not have an embassy in the country that you're in, and quite often there's uh, reciprocal arrangements. I know Australia has arrangements with uh, British embassies in certain places where we don't have it, and Canadian embassies, and I think some US embassies as well, where we don't have a a presence. Um, So that's one thing to think about as well.
3: You guys talk about Bali and I remember going to Bali and being absolutely terrified because when I landed and it's this beautiful tropical island and I, you know, I'm coming to have this wonderful vacation, la, 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 I land in the airport and see signs all over about drugs, drug drugs. usage, possession drugs, of drugs, yeah. using drugs. Yeah. The, yeah, and yeah. there the, no ifs, ands, or buts, It is it is punishable by death. And there, I mean, it's, there's no misinterpretation. There's no wiggle room. And I remember buying souvenirs, like little things like earrings and a little figurine, a carved Buddha or something to bring home. And it was packed in tissue paper and the earrings were in a little cardboard box with some cotton fluff or something to keep the earrings from wiggling around and whatever else. Every single thing that I bought, I unpacked. And before I packed my suitcase, never have I taken <laughs> things so seriously. I, took, I got rid of every bit of plastic, every wrapper, every price tag, everything because I was not going to take the chance. And, and that responsibility really fell to me. It's my job to make sure I'm not taking anything home. And I kept that bag in my hand the entire time until I handed it to the airline at the airport when I left. Because it's, it's no joke.
1: Mm-hmm. And Bali's bizarre, yeah, isn't right. it? And there are so many places like this. When you're actually there and you go down to Kuta Beach and places like that, mm-hmm. there are so many drugs around and 25% yeah. of the people are off their heads and everything. And you just think, wow, these guys, every single one of these people is putting their lives at risk, their freedom at risk by what they're doing for the sake yeah. of a quick hit in the party.
6: Mm, wow. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And, that's, and exactly. that's, that's, that's part of Indonesia and Javanese, uh, uh, Indonesian laws are very, very strict but they're not Javanese, they're they're Balis. And I think there's a little bit of um, angst that they're they're under the regime of um, Indonesia, to be quite honest with you. But a a, a funny story, Shirley bought a bag in Pakistan. (laughs) And um, this bag, and and I'm I'm, – I'm travelling a fair bit as a, a president of a, a, a police association here and, and she's travelling with me. And every time we go through an airport security and she's got this bloody bag, she gets pulled out for a, uh, be wandered for um, explosives and drugs.
4: And the first time it happened, I thought, Ooh, I bought this in a little market up in the Karakoram Mountains. I just wonder what they used it for before they sold
5: it.
4: <laughs> 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 once it, it passed me, I wasn't quite so worried. Really. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really cool bag. If you get to the Karakoram Mountains, Michelle, I'll send you a photo. It's
3: a really nice Thank you. <laughs> I'll be sure to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've, I've, when I was, I've was, i been traveling on the bike and, and heading into countries where I know that um, drugs are an issue and heading out of countries where drugs are an issue, inevitably, if you're traveling on your own, then you're leaving the bike to stand and unattended while you head off to do paperwork. The first thing I did whenever I got back to the bike was have a good look around it and to make sure that nothing had been stuffed into little nooks and crannies and things like that, that I was then going to go to the next stage of the process and, and potentially get pulled over. But a lot of the laws that you learn, they're, they're the basics and you already know them anyway. It's just a case of paying attention to them. Um, it's, it's, for example, in virtually every country in the world, you've got to have photo ID with you at all times. So do. Um, And speed limits, they're a perfect example. Learn about them before you go into a new country or as soon as you are in. Ask the questions. The local officials are really happy that you're paying respect to their country and and you want to know what speed limit you're supposed to be going at. But I mean, there are lots of things that you can't learn. I had a bit of a, a giggle over this because, I mean, there are some nuts rules around and I've got to tell you what some of these are. In Switzerland... It's not only illegal to flush the toilet after 10 p.m. if you live in an apartment, but it's also illegal to, for men to stand urinate standing up at nighttime. Well, you can understand. <laughs> that. How the hell are you supposed to know about that? And <laughs> Brian Shirley, you'll like to catch you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, in the middle of the night, the door bursts <laughs> Boy, open. <I'm> Freeze. <laughs> Brian Shirley, you'll love this one. It's <laughs> actually illegal to swear in public in Sydney
5: really yeah Whoa.
1: we all get locked up just as well exactly, I didn't know. bloody ridiculous and this is another one um it's illegal to fart after 6 p.m in public in florida surely <laughs> <laughs> this one actually i did get caught with um in thailand um, i dropped some money um i was just fumbling and this this um note um, got out of my hand and um, I was quick enough to stamp on it. Looks of horror from around me and I had no idea what I'd done. It's illegal uh-huh. to put your foot on money in Thailand. Yeah. Fortunately because, it wasn't policeman, so. a policeman. That'll,
6: that'll be the, um, the, the regent's uh, head or something like that yeah. because they're very yeah.
4: They're all family. Yeah, they're all family. But, you know, most, apart from those silly things that Sam's just uh, discovered, we're <laughs> all now going to have to be very concerned about, most of the things that are going to get you into strife overseas, it's really common sense. Like, do not take photographs of a military installation. Yeah. You wouldn't do it at home. Absolutely. Don't do it overseas. The Australian couple that got done for using a drone in Iran near a, um, a power station Seriously? Yeah. You need to be Japanese. told that you should do that?
0: Even if you would do it at home, you don't do it in a foreign country. Right. No. Yeah. No. Has anyone here been jailed in a foreign country?
6: No. Uh, no. Sh- shame. Shame. <laughs> How no, did somebody
5: mention
0: my name? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sam, you probably weren't listening there. I was just asking if anyone was jailed in a foreign country. Yeah,
1: no, I was, I was just playing Mr. Innocent there because I could tell that the flack was coming in my direction again. Listen, things can go wrong. It doesn't matter if if you've paid um, due attention to and and respect to the country that you're in, things can go wrong. And then you can find yourself in in deep trouble. The scariest moment of my life today, and anybody who's read my book Into Africa is going to know this story, was when a man in Tanzania stepped out in front of me. And I hit him and I hit him really hard. And that ended up with me being thrown in jail. And that was the scariest moment of my life today. Um... Uh, In fact, the hair on my arms has just gone up just even thinking about it. I was hugely fortunate then because uh, of two things. Captain Joseph, the retired captain from the Tanzanian Army who I mentioned earlier on, but also the representative for the British Embassy. Um, drove past and he happened to notice the number plates on my bike. Now he very smartly didn't get involved, all of the pol- police milling around and hundreds of people watching what was going on. Um, he came in and, and checked in um, at the police station later on to find out what had happened with me. And um, But that was when I found out for the first time what it is that um, embassies can and cannot do. But from that time onwards, I've always gone into a country knowing the telephone numbers and the addresses of um, my embassy so that if something does go wrong, I've got a way of getting in touch with them because they may not be able to do a huge amount for you, but they can be there for you and at least they can make sure that people know where you are and that, that you're in the situation that you're in. And that is just worth its weight in gold. Um, literally, that was a, a, a horrific experience. And it's just the perfect example of how, yeah, you know, you can be minding your P's and Q's and doing everything right, but something um, can go badly wrong. And then it's up to you to be common sense and calm. Um, And if you do something wrong, I mean, we we can't learn all of the rules. A friend of mine um, in Ecuador, um, he was traveling through and he parked his motorcycle in front of the the police station in Quito because he thought, it'd be safe to park it there. Well, of course, the police weren't happy at all about having this strange motorcycle parked outside their police station. This is a country where bombs go off. Um, So, well, you know, it's a common sense. It's a simple thing that he... Did wrong, so we can't get it right all of the time. When the police nabbed him, he just said, "Look, I'm really sorry. I didn't understand. This is what I'd done." And the policeman waggled his finger at him and said, "Look, okay, you've learned a lesson. Don't do it again." And it was job done. Um, so you know, if you do something wrong, apologize. And if you do something wrong, knowing that you've done it wrong, try not to look too guilty when you get caught.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. Good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's practiced it, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: No, I, 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 I'm, I'm, Mr. Innocent. You know that, but no, I'm, I mean, I just, I rambled for a minute. I'm sorry. That story always um, gets me going. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hope that sort of thing never happens to anybody else.
0: And you're obviously lucky the way it turned out. Uh, you know, it could have been a totally different situation. And, and I mean, we, we talked a little bit about legal representation, etc. The, there, some countries don't guarantee the right to legal representation or having somebody speak your language. So, I mean, it's, it's all those things. I, I don't know, as you said, you, you can't learn all these laws, but it's a good idea to, to get some sort of heads up. And I think you find that, you know, you, if you go to Horizons Unlimited and, and plug in there, you're going to find that information. Other people have traveled before you and no one's doing this as a, as a first person. It's been done before and, and there's other stories out there and other information. So certainly wise to get that. And that sort of brings me around to another point that I wanted to make is because um, I think it was Michelle, you, you mentioned something about research, about doing your research and how you like to research ahead of time. And of course, I've talked to a lot of people who don't like to research at all. And I guess there's got to be a, a certain amount of due diligence. You really have to do. And, and I'm not just saying this for you, but be, if something happens to you as a traveler, you may think you're alone, but... Maybe you drag in the embassy, maybe you drag in people, foreigners um, that that are around you, maybe you draw in your family, et cetera. It's going to fall on someone else other than just you. I think that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, if you guys don't agree with this, but there's a certain amount of due diligence that you're going to have to do or that you're sort of obligated to do, don't you think?
3: Absolutely. I, I think that it's incumbent upon each of us to take responsibility for that. If you want to go and enjoy you know your time in a country, and you want to travel somewhere and experience a culture and and see beautiful landscapes. I think you kind of have to pay your dues, and for me that means doing a little bit of research because I don't want that responsibility to fall on somebody else. Um, unless I'm in a position where I really can't handle it and need to ask for help. When I go into a country, I. I feel like I've done my best to make sure that I'm educated and I'm in a position I'm set up for my best experience to enjoy it um, and to be safe and be able to get myself out of the country. And I don't plan on needing to rely on other people because I don't know that I always can. So you try and at least I try and do what I can to, you know, minimize the risk and, and be able to relax then and enjoy the experience even more once I go.
1: Yeah, and I really Good like the sound week. of that. Guidebooks are great, uh, as you know. Footprint guidebooks they li- often list the laws of the different, or the keeper, you know, the pertinent laws of a country that you need to know about. Um, but there are some things that you should go into countries, and they're not actually laws, but they're customs. But they're sort of written stone. And um, if you don't pay attention to them, then you can upset an awful lot of people. And I've heard of people being pulled over in South Africa for not when they first go into into the country for, for breaking something that's a custom rather than a written law, as I understand it. And that is that when you're traveling along a main road, if you're traveling more slowly than the vehicles coming up behind you, it's your responsibility to pull over to the left hand side so that they have an easier run at overtaking you
2: mm. Yeah, that's com- mm. that's commonly done and, and expected and i've been mm. in both positions coming up fast on somebody else and seen them step over and when i first saw that i went what is cars pulling over for a motorcycle wow how cool is that mm. and then realize that they do it all the
1: time that's normal isn't that actually a really nice rule oh it's yeah. it was it's such a, a relief it's courtesy. It's a isn't real it? courtesy, and it courtesy. costs almost nothing, does it?
2: Yeah. Well, period. Nothing. It's definitely. But yeah, and, and you don't see that in so many places. You can see. I mean, I see it all the time coming off a particular ferry here in BC, where all the, the motorhomes putting along at slow speeds. And do they pull over at the pullouts? Do they make it easy for anybody to get past? It? No, they do not. A diff- very different attitude in this part of the world compared to Sun.
4: We have um, slow lanes where they ask people, you know, in slow vehicles to move over, and they'll have little passing points. And Ooh. it's always interesting to see which people think that they are actually a slow vehicle, and others that <laughs> not think, many. "No, I'm, clear, <laughs> I'm clearly ca- ca- carrying a carrying on at a very good rate because I'm not going to move over for this slow vehicle lane because I'm not a slow vehicle."
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, God. You, just said, you know,
4: we're talking about places that you go and get yourself into trouble. The other thing you should think about is places you shouldn't go at all. Do
0: you have one of With those these places?
4: places? Oh, Afghanistan?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Just <laughs> saying. It's not somewhere I want to visit.
2: Mm-hmm. No. I think and a lot just, of it, though, is, is depends on your perception and how much you listen to the news and how much you listen to other travelers coming from where you're heading or Okay. Local so when perception. are you
4: going to Afghanistan, Grant?
2: I'm not. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying that some countries like that other one in that area, Iran, a lot of people think, oh, no way can you go to Iran. That's absolutely terrible. It's dangerous. You'll, you'll be dead. You're, there's no way you're going to survive. It's going to be horrible. And yet, everybody that I know of that's been to Iran has always said it's the friendliest country in the world. Yeah, so revenues. you've got to be careful who you listen
1: to about that. Yep. And I went into Ethiopia just after the Civil War had finished and mm-hmm. uh, the general advice was, well, don't go. Uh, but I was younger and more stupid, and I did. And then I discovered why people were saying don't go and I was lucky to get away with it. And I had an absolute ball.
0: What yeah. do you mean? You, you, what, what, you, do you want to tell that story?
1: Well, I mean, Ethiopia had been at, um, in, in a civil war for 20 years. And almost a whole generation of men had been wiped out during that time. And um, there was me, um, young guy, wanting to ride the length of Africa. I'd already been turned down for the west of Africa, because the borders there had all closed and so on. And I didn't know as much as I should have done about going down um, the east side, but I knew that this civil war was coming to an end. And um, I thought, well, if it's ended, then I can go in and I'll mind the P's and Q's and I'll only travel in the daytime and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the general advice was, well, you know, um, you probably ought not to go there. There was no You must now, under no circumstances, go there. And I took that as, well, okay, well, you know, you can go there, but just you're going to have to be really, really careful. Um, At that time, the British Embassy was saying for Zaire, for example, under no circumstances should British citizens enter this country. Well, that's not what they were saying for Ethiopia. But there was uh, lots and lots of guns around, and there was um, very much... um, the survival shoot first and ask questions, um, later kind of, of atmosphere. But because the locals had never seen anybody like us for the last 20 years, um, there was a a big time hesitation and it was that that kept us safe because they were, well, who are these people? Um, and I think that was what, um, yeah, kept us all right, but it was fantastic. Loved Ethiopia. And it was an absolutely awesome time to be there. The gratitude on people's faces to suddenly see visitors beginning to come through after 20 years of war was like a, a breath of fresh air. Um, it was a really positive thing. So yeah, it was um, dodgy, but absolutely wonderful.
2: It's interesting to hear you talk about that because that's what we ran into in Nicaragua. We were there during the Contra Wars mm-hmm. and there was all kinds of issues, Um uh, and we were—I remember—we were going to head down a road, and we stopped and asked for directions, which we frequently did because maps. What's a map? I mean, there was no maps, and there was no street signs, there was nothing. Um, and the locals said, "Well, don't go down that road; that's very dangerous." And some they said, "Go this way, and you'll be fine." And turn there, and we had that several times. People told us what was good, what was not, and it was great. You know, we we really loved Nicaragua. The people were wonderful. They were they were desperately poor and it was really sad to see them. Susan got her hair cut by a barber who had come out of retirement because his entire pension was now worthless. He had, it, it, the, the money amount was, dinner was a roll of bills as fat as you could hold. Mm, wow. Whereas it yeah. used to be a couple of pieces of paper. You know, it, it was just ridiculous. It was a suitcase full of money for the $100 that you had to change at the border. Literally a suitcase full of money. It was ridiculous. So there was a lot of uh, poor people. Um, We walked into one store trying to buy something and they said, uh, Well, here's what we have. And here's this whole store with all kinds of glass shelves and drawers, you know, the usual cabinet things. And they were standing behind the 10 items they had for sale. That was it. That's all they had. Mm -hmm. We went into a restaurant and said, uh, Well, what have you got for dinner? A guy gave us a menu and everything was cool. Have you got this? No, I, you got this. How about that? No, I, no, I, no, I, no, I, they had nothing. So, well, what do you have? Poyo. Okay. I guess we're having chicken for dinner. <laughs> that was it. That was the only choice. <laughs> there was nothing else. It was just, it was really something, but the people were so friendly and helpful. It was really, really a nice experience.
1: I remember it well. Poyo con arroz. Oh yes, (laughs) staple diet. Can I just ask you guys a question? In in each of your countries, is it legal to park your motorcycle on a wide bit of pavement?
6: Yeah. Yes, it is here in um, Australia. In in certain places, they're banded in Melbourne. It used to be everywhere, but uh, busy. uh, footpaths leading away from major railway stations. They've said, no, I don't park here, but they've, they've increased the number of on-street parking, for free on-street parking for motorcycles as well.
2: Okay, I need to explain what Sam just said. To our North Americans, pavement is black stuff that you drive on. Ah, sorry. And, yes, sidewalk is the word Sam is talking about. No, it's not well, legal. footpaths. North-
1: football, football. No, <laughs> not legal not legal to so no get my international terminology right don't <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not legal here in the states either at no. least in my part of the world there might be some exceptions in some metropolitan areas but it would be marked um, if that's the case but i would say the vast majority is no not but, legal. but
0: not not on sidewalks though no parking on sidewalks. I don't, no. I don't know of a place. Jill. I've I've never seen anyone I, ever park on a sidewalk. Not in we North do, America. We
4: do all the time here. Come to Australia.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. We're, we're, uh, I know that, but uh, we don't here. Is what I'm saying. Any, anywhere here yeah. in in uh, in Canada. Yeah. I've never. I've never seen. I've never seen it. No, um, it used to be I, perfectly I, th- dig- I
6: think. Um, I think in uh, Denmark it's illegal and I I still think I've got a parking ticket uh, from there
1: somewhere.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So you haven't been back? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, the the reason I've asked this is because it's one of the things that I see people falling foul of. Um, If in their own country they can park on the sidewalk, um, then they think that they can do that in um, whatever other country um, because it's just normal to do. But actually, it is worth paying attention. You used to be able to do it in cities in the UK, but over, the, uh, let's say, the last 10 years, it's um, become illegal to do it, particularly in London. And um, there are some really, really tight fines if you park your motorcycle in London. And I've never understood this in major cities. To me, it's completely logical. If you've got a, a sidewalk that's um, 10 yards wide and parking your bike... Um, out of the way is not going to do any harm, then why shouldn't you do it? It's a logical thing to do. Big cities need to have more motorcycles so there's less congestion, et cetera, et cetera, that we're not going to get on a a soapbox.
2: I can give you Uh, a reason. It's how you get there. In Canada, it's how did you get there. You have to drive up onto the pavement, drive your motorcycle on the pavement slash sidewalk and possibly hit a pedestrian. And so it's illegal. Mm -hmm.
1: What happened to common yeah, sense? Yeah.
2: Oh, look, there's yeah, a person
1: well, I won't yeah. drive my motorcycle at. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
6: Like, uh, here, here they um, – uh, it's, it's not a, a law, but um, the general etiquette is that you park near the road on the footpath because of people who might be blind impaired. They use um, the edge of the, the buildings to, uh, to make their way through. Um, so uh, people use common sense. But even the bike shops in Elizabeth Street, which is one of the main uh, motorcycle strips here in the city, uh, they put all their bikes out on the footpath. You've got to walk past them. You can just view the bikes. You don't have to go in the showroom.
2: They're all out in the footpath. Mm. Yeah, not here. Not anymore. We used to do that 30, 40 years ago, but not anymore.
1: Of course, if you go to places like Vietnam, then um, the sidewalks aren't for people to walk on at all. They're to to park your 125cc on. Yep.
0: And and following the crowd doesn't always work either because if you pull up and park in a spot where there's some other motorcycles parked and it doesn't look like a a parking spot, but it seems okay because everyone else is parked there, you may find yourself with a ticket or maybe a missing bike by the time you come back. So I I guess, uh, you know, people will think they can get away with it for a little while and then somebody else comes along and figures, well, somebody else is doing it so I can do that and... And it's all illegal. We weren't
4: the only ones who got booked in Denmark, let me say.
1: No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I don't want to take the Michael with this comment, but um, one <laughs> other thing that you really need to watch out for if you're travelling in Europe is going to Portugal. Um, don't pee in the sea. The piss takes around. Really, it's illegal to pee in the sea in Portugal. And who's who on earth is going to be policing that for goodness sake. <laughs> Good luck.
0: Well, we'll end with that incredible piece of information that we have probably all written down so we don't forget. <laughs> and we'll move on to a listener question. They were going to wrap this up with this listener question from Kelly Hoos. Kelly says, I've heard you talk about part of the magic of traveling in a foreign country is immersing yourself in the local culture and language. Also stating that sometimes the language barrier can be a bit of a problem with handheld instant translators now being available and affordable, do you feel that using a device like this will take away from the foreign travel experience or would the use of the device be a non-issue because there's so many other ways to uh, immerse yourself into the local culture? What do you guys think about that? I mean, does it, does it cheapen things, you know, to, to have a translator or does it help?
6: Uh um. Sure, it's got a great story on that. But before we do that, shout out to Kelly and and Connie. Um, hope you're um, not uh, uh, d- causing too many um, uh, roadblocks for motorcyclists driving that truck, mate. But uh, I know he's just bought a, a uh, adventure bike and he's hoping to come out to Australia one day. And we'll look after you, mate, when you get out here. But, um, sure, you go with your story.
4: His bike's likely to be an antique by the time he gets out. Yeah, well, that's
5: true. It <laughs> <laughs> could be. <laughs>
4: Uh, Are you talking about my picture talk? Yes. We've got the little book Picture Talk, which I know I've I've spoken about before, and it is a great way of of, um, interacting with the locals when you can't speak the language because it has a picture for every possible occasion. And um, we were in a restaurant in Uzbekistan and I pointed to the chicken and then smacked myself on the the thigh and we got beautiful pieces of chicken Maryland and salad for lunch. So it worked.
0: <laughs> but, but that's that's more of a, a thing where you're connecting because it's a picture. And, and really the question for yeah, Kelly right. is would an instant translator take away? I mean, in other words, if you walked it's in in the same the situation, it. would you, you know, but hold No, I don't up- think
4: it does. I mean, just the fact you can't speak the language and you're giving it a shot, either using an instant translator like one of those programs or um, um, uh, the picture talk book. We were in a small town in Russia and the lady behind the reception desk at the little uh, guest house was we going. Got her Google Translate yeah. out and typed something in and showed it to us. And it said, "I will meet you in the spa at seven o'clock for breakfast." <laughs> uh, <laughs>
5: now, when Rather she forward. read
4: back in Russian what what had come up to us, she was deeply embarrassed yep, because yep, indeed yep, she yep. didn't want to meet us. In <laughs> And we then we got a lot of laughter out of that, so much laughter, we didn't notice the man from the secret police coming and taking our passports. <laughs> but anything, um, truly, Kelly, and, well, Kelly, you will need one of those instant translators in Australia because, you know, we speak a different language to Americans. <laughs> um, anything that helps you interact with people, be it a book with pictures in it, be it an instant translator, be it a phrase book, be it charades it all helps you get into the culture and meet the locals.
6: Yeah, but uh, uh, Michelle, you would have found in South America, having a smattering of Spanish really helped too, didn't it?
3: Oh, very much. And I, I think that was a big turning point for me that I'd been on the road for like six months or a year in Latin America. And when I could actually, I, I didn't even notice it when it happened, but I was in a taxi um, and had a conversation with a guy for 45 minutes. And my travel companion afterwards said, do you realize that you had a full on conversation in Spanish? And I, I hadn't. And I was so proud of finally wow. reaching that point. Yeah,
5: that's but I, great. I, yeah,
3: yeah. But I have to say, I mean... That took years and and there's so many countries, there's no way that I can learn all the languages of the places that I want to travel or have traveled. And I am just super supportive of whatever it is that you use or find as a tool to help enhance communication because I think it helps you know, open those doors. And it, I think it enriches your experience. If you're able to ask questions about, you know, the history of a place or a festival that's going on, or, you know, a particular kind of food and, you know, how they prepare it. I think those things are all part of the experience. So whatever the tool is, I, I'm all for it. The only trick is the trap is Michelle, you get to ask, ask the question, but then be back if
4: you can understand the answer.
3: <laughs> here, here. I hope it works two ways. <laughs> Don't
2: asking too much. Yes, they, they do. But I think the, all the tools, like as we've already said, are great. It's really useful. They can really help you have a, a conversation. You can learn a lot of stuff. But I think it's absolutely critical that you have at least the top 10 or 20 words yep. memorized. You know yes. them. So yep. you can say thank you in whatever language. Stuff like that makes a huge difference. I mean, If you can't even say thank you in their language, you're not trying. And they know.
4: The one thing um, I learned very quickly in Spanish was must despacio, por favor, more slowly. (laughs) Just get them to slow down when they're speaking and you'll have a better chance of picking up the odd word that you know and you'll be able to have a a shot at working out what they're saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. and. You know, when we're travellers, listen, we use technology for all sorts of different things, don't we? Because it gives us a chance to enhance our journeys. It gives us a chance to have um, the opportunities to do more things. And Michelle was basically saying, I think if there's a tool that can help you to connect and to understand more, then use it. And it's fantastic. Have you noticed how since these translate machines have come out, um, we Brits are getting quieter and quieter? Because in the past, if we wanted to make ourselves understood, we just talked (laughs) louder and louder and louder until it (laughs) inevitably, eventually, somebody understood or You're didn't. you the so only so one. Rude, arrogant tosses. <laughs> um, but I mean, the thing with te- the tech is it's great to have and it can do two things. A, it can help you to communicate but also it can help you to start learning more of the language because the, a lot of these um, apps actually speak it's not just written on the screen in front. It actually speaks the words to you. And if you've already got the basics, like Grant said, of hello, please, thank you, which is the way to, I'm not paying that much, that's ridiculous, and those sorts of things, then the extra words that you're learning, they can actually help you. But the beauty is just because you've got the technology doesn't mean you have to use it. Yeah, and I think that's it. a really
0: good point. And that's what I was going to say. It's kind of makes me think of the backup cameras you find on cars now and the um, the indicators for people in your blind spots. If you, if you depend too much on this, and, and I see people do this, they can't actually back up without the backup camera. You know, they, they've, they've, they've forgotten how to sort of turn themselves around and and back the vehicle in. So, I mean, I think you can depend too much on something like that and then not get your, like Grant said, the 10 words in sort of thing. You have
2: to have an internet connection. You have to have an internet connection for those things to work.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: What if you don't have one? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. or it's really, 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 really expensive. Yeah. Do you want to trust the Wi-Fi? Maybe there isn't Wi-Fi. Maybe your cell phone doesn't have a local SIM card. Okay, you've got nothing. So you need the basics, and I would, I would probably take this Muama Essence or ennance that they are that Kelly talks about, or any other translation program, and I would take a travel book, and I would take a little card. Um, And I would learn a few words, use all the tools available to you because you never know when something's not going to work.
4: And those little pocket um, phrase books, they're really handy. Where's the bank? Where's the toilet? Whatever. Remembering in South America how close the word for bank and toilet actually are.
5: (laughs) 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 Yeah, quite exactly.
4: Pronounce, it's, it's all in the pronunciation. I remember when we were in Austria the first time and we were trying to get to a place and I kept saying that we wanted to go to Werfen and these people were looking at me going, there is no such place because we should have been going to Werfen.
5: <laughs>
4: and Werfen with an Australian accent and Werfen with an Austrian-German accent, one yeah. existed and one didn't. Yep.
2: I had the same problem in China. <laughs> no way could I get the tones and everything else right. It's
1: impossible. You know, Kelly, um, there's also the GPS risk um, equivalent of this. Um, too many people, uh, it seems to me, plug their GPSs in and they put the route in and they put their destination and then they just follow the purple line on their screens and they forget to talk to people. They forget to ask directions. And that's where some of the best connections can possibly be made. So the technology of any sort is good, but you've just got to work out how much you want to use it and whether you actually have to use it or not getting lost sometimes is great fun that's where the unexpected happens cocking up in conversation can be really funny and you can have scores of people around you just creased up laughing and there is nothing better than that experience when you're in a foreign land is to have other people laughing and so long as you can laugh at yourself and not be too proud at having cocked it up that's great it's brilliant amen
4: that can happen in restaurants we we've been in restaurants where I really thought I've i nailed the pronunciation from the phrase book what we've ordered and when the food arrives on the table it bears no resemblance.
0: <laughs> Next you thing you know I'm you're meeting somebody at seven o'clock in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, at you this, just got
4: to laugh at yourself.
0: <laughs> at this point, I think we should be moving into plugs. Uh, am I cutting anyone off? Anyone have anything else they want to add to that? No. No. Okay. So for plugs, I'm going to start with Michelle. Michelle, what have you got?
3: Um, well, I guess just a couple of things I, I wanted to mention earlier. I kind of uh, alluded to the fact that I, we'd had a writer stop by, or I had a writer stop by, uh, my place here in Custer. And I just wanted to say a shout out to all of the, uh, Adventure Writer Radio and Raw listeners. Um, really a plug for them because I think they're amazing and they're such good fans. And I really appreciate the kind comments that they've passed along. And John Beamer uh, was a person who stopped by and uh, has posted and uh, written a a couple of kind words, just saying that he was a a fan. So I wanted to say thanks to him for stopping and saying hello. Uh, And my plug for uh, this month is for a film festival that we've got coming up. It's the second annual Black Hills Motorcycle Film Festival, which will be held online again. Uh, It starts August 13th. We're actually judging films as we speak. And if anybody is interested in a free ticket, again, they're free uh, for the first weekend of the event, just go to revsisters.com for information. So if you're looking for something to do in the Southern Hemisphere in those winters and days when you can't ride, you can watch some moto films and be inspired. Very nice.
0: (laughs) And free, you can't pass that up. And of course, all the links that we talk about will be in the show notes because everybody sends those in and we put them in the show notes.
3: Sam, Uh,
1: what have you got for plugs? Well, um, first of all, I'd like to just endorse what um, Michelle just said, because do you know Adventure Rider Radio and Roar has built up a wonderful community I get messages all the time from people and it's absolutely brilliant some really nice conversations happening and of course um, we all get our legs pulled on a fairly regular basis by people and one of the most recent ones was that uh, one chap had decided that the best way to um, use the ostrich eggs from the last show was to carry wine in them yeah well you know I can, <laughs> I can see the point of that but uh, yeah, keep hydrated
0: with a smile that works uh, you know Sam, i got to say that apparently you can't find an ostrich egg anywhere to buy right now because of that last show.
5: <laughs> no, <laughs> they've sold out. That's it.
1: I've been involved in the extinction of ostriches. Oh, dear.
4: It's um, like those cans of dehydrated water, Jim. You can't get those for love nor money in no,
1: Australia. <laughs> I, I know. They just fallen off the shelf. Do you know, I've, I've worked out why that is. Um, the sauce is dried up. <laughs>
5: oh, <laughs>
1: Sorry. Okay. Um, Right. Okay. My plug, my plug Um, for many of us, the summer's here, and that means that we're looking for t-shirts and I just like to um, draw everybody's attention to the fact that I have got three t-shirts on sale and they are available for the UK, for Western Europe, Canada, the USA, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, And the links, um, hopefully, um, Jim and Elizabeth will show in the show notes and I hope you like the designs and thank you for your support. Uh, We've got long sleeve uber soft ones and 100% lightweight cotton top quality. So yeah, I hope you enjoy them.
0: It almost sounded like you said you have free t-shirts for sale. (laughs)
1: was there some Irish in there somewhere no I shouldn't say that should I I'll be slagged off now oh dear so
0: three t-shirts we're we're talking three different designs is what you're saying yeah
1: three different designs one of them's long sleeve Um, it's a man-made mix of fabrics and it's wonderfully soft and they just go on forever Um, and two uh, lighter weight 100% 100% cotton short sleeve shirts and they've all got different designs on and um, they've been ticking along really quite nicely, but I haven't very done very much publicity on them recently. So um, I hope um, people will have a look. Um, yeah, I hope they enjoy. It's nice I, that we got the warm weather again here, isn't
3: it? I love the one that I have, Sam. So I didn't know you had three designs. Now I'm going to have to add to my collection. Thank you. Oh, thank
1: you.
2: <laughs> okay, Grant, what do you have? Well, we have the Horizons Unlimited Travelers meetings coming up. August and September and uh, November are going to be full of meetings, but Can West, Romania, Germany, France, California, Virginia, and South Africa are all happening. Wow. Which is a whole lot less than we would normally have in a year, but we all know why we haven't had them. So we have a bunch coming up. Uh, Can West is the next one, and we will be there. That's in the beautiful little tiny village of Nacusp, way up in the mountains of British Columbia. Beautiful location. If you're anywhere near and can make it, please come. We'd be delighted to have you. And for the rest of them, like I said, Romania, Germany, France, California, Virginia, and South Africa, get to it if you can make it. I know it's uh, lots of times you can't cross borders these days, but where countries have opened up and things are safer and people are getting vaccinated, we have events happening. Next year we will have a full slate, and we're really looking forward to it. I
0: gotta say it's it's it just it's great to hear that there that you've got some running. Uh, you you, mean you said it doesn't sound like very many to me. I was thinking that's yeah. a lot. That sounds great.
2: Yeah, well, we're looking at seven for mm-hmm. 2021, um, last year or sorry, last year, last time we had a full slate was about 24.
0: Well, Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I remember you were, you were saying they were getting up so high a number that you didn't think you could yeah. handle anymore.
2: True. Um, but Hey, we'll do take what we can. And we have people asking us all the time, what's happening, what events are on, how do I find out? We have an updates list. Go to the show notes and you can click the updates list for Horizons Online events, put yourself on down on a list for whichever events you're interested in, and we will send you notices about what's happening and when and when registration opens, etc.
1: Mm,
0: that's a great idea. Okay. Can and I that's just that's add something exciting. onto
1: this? Um, sure. Th- guys, li- listen, if, you know, when you're listening into the show here and you're hearing Grant talk about these things, believe what he says. These events are absolutely fantastic. It's it's not only the number of presentations that are going on, it's not only um, exhibitors that are there, if the event's big enough for that, but the atmosphere and... The instant friendship that you can make at these Horizons Unlimited meets, it, that's one of the most special things in the world. The atmosphere is pure generosity. If you've got a question to do with traveling, the chances are you're going to find somebody there who's been there and is really happy to share the information with you or we'll point you in the right direction. Um, there's an awful lot of laughter at these events. If you can get to one, do.
2: Thanks, Sam. I, I remember one guy said to me just a, just last year, The best part of your events isn't the presentations. It isn't seeing the bikes or anything. It's sitting around the campfire with people who've actually been there, done it, and feeling like you're suddenly their friend and they're happy to talk to you, tell you what's going on, tell you what you need to know, and ask and answer your uh, deepest, darkest questions that you're really worrying about. It's just made the event just absolutely amazing.
1: You never get laughed at, do you? The yeah, only stupid yeah, but, question is the one that doesn't get asked. That's yeah, something I, about the atmosphere.
2: Yeah. I, so I know one guy once said, uh, the best thing about it is there's no attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I think that's what's important. See you at one of the events somewhere. soon. later. <laughs> How about you,
0: Brian? What have you got for plugs?
4: Can I just pick up on something Sam said? Yeah, go. That he, that he said everyone should believe what Grant said.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, everyone all everyone believes everything we all say. <laughs> there you oh, go. Oh, 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 radio oh. Raw. There are no tall yarns spun on this program. It's all 100% fact. There you go. That's what I'm going to say.
0: Thank you, Shirley. Yes. Well said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That means I can't do any bullshit in the future now, can I? That's right.
0: Gotcha. You'll have to bleep that money out, you. I know, you so can't even use that word, can you? I mean, we don't even use that word. Is shit a swear word? I don't know. I can't remember now. <laughs>
1: no, 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 not when they're hyphenated. It's oh, fine. is that right? <laughs> yeah. That's right.
4: Okay. <laughs> I had a senior politician on the news a couple of nights ago, and the reporter said to him, so how would you describe the vax- vaccine rollout? And he said, it's a shit show. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Great, and welcome to Australia.
4: were horrified that the vaccine rollout is not as it should be. They were <laughs> saying, Can you imagine someone said that? That's a fairly good description, Very right? right Robert, but there <laughs> you
0: go. <laughs> but, but, but everybody goes the opposite way too. You, don't you notice those, those signs and I'm trying to think of one, those, those obvious signs you see that will take something really simple and make it sound very complicated. So, you know, like don't walk on the grass and say walking on the grass is prohibited. You know, it's like, why yeah. don't you just say yeah. don't walk on the grass? Everybody understands that. Someone got a promotion for that. Jim. Yeah. <laughs> it is unlawful to, you know, Yeah. <laughs> all, all those ones.
6: Uh, my, my plug is just a general plug uh, to everyone to please go out and get vaccinated. If you want to travel, have the bloody vaccination because I'm just reading um, online about the, um, the French president is going to pass laws that you cannot go to a restaurant in Paris unless you are vaccinated, uh, have had COVID or um, can prove that um, you've had a test. And it'll be unlawful for you to go and sit in a restaurant. Greece has done the same. Malta won't let you into the country. So if you want to travel, you're going to have to be vaccinated. Um, so uh, my general plug is to any rider out there who wants to travel, get yourself ready to travel because as soon as these borders are open, we're
0: off. We're out of here. Good idea. Shirley, what have you got? I'm
4: just going to send you a link to my picture talk book, book because I think it's it's the simplest laugh-encouraging, icebreaker, when you can't speak the language. So I'll send you a link to that, Jim.
0: Sounds good. Yeah. that will be in the show sure. notes. I'd yeah, like
6: and
5: to
4: just,
6: that. just one other. Um, the, for uh, people in Australia, um, the wall-to-wall ride that we're organising, which normally goes to Canberra, if we're in lockdown and we have trouble crossing borders, never fear. We're all organising rides within our own states. So I'm doing one right now, which um, will be quite interesting So that we can have a bit of fun, get together, share a few laughs and beers, and talk about our travels, and raise a bit of money for for Legacy, and have a good time. And the the raffle uh, is open at the moment. Uh, Yamaha have been fantastic in giving us an MTO nine motorbike worth about eighteen grand for nothing uh, to raffle off. Get on board and uh, buy a raffle ticket. Cheers.
0: Wow, your chances got to be pretty high with that because I wouldn't imagine, I mean, in the big scheme of things in lotteries, in sense, that there's that many tickets sold.
6: Uh-huh. No, 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 no. It's usually about three to 4,000 tickets only oh, sold. Wow. So it's a pretty good odds.
1: Yeah, that's that's so Brian, incredible. If, if if I buy um, half a dozen lottery tickets, would you store the bike for me for when I come out?
6: I'll oh, look after it oh, for out. you, yeah. mate. No yeah. worries. We, let's <laughs> I'll, run it, I'll run it in for you.
0: Are there no,
1: <laughs> he will too.
0: <laughs> he definitely will. Um, are there any sort of rules saying that you, you can't buy it from out of country? No, I
4: don't think so.
6: Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, huh? no, I think you can. You can always put, you, use my address.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, right? Didn't didn't we just talk about this? About travel? <laughs> identity
5: theft issue.
0: Exactly. It won't be identity theft. It'll be your bike. You'll get it. It'll have eighty thousand kilometers on it.
1: <laughs> oh, just what just run in. Yeah. Test
0: it, boy. Hey, Brian. Oh, I ran it down the road for you, by the way. Yeah, eighty thousand. We heard about, about Brian's running down the road anyway, but what was it? Was he getting ready for a trip or something? He convinced Shirley that he had to go on a ride around Australia or something like that to yeah, to yeah, get he ready. Did that. Yeah, we've heard that <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for us, I guess I think we're all done Thank you very much, everyone Great fun,
2: as always, talking thank you. Thanks, you. Thanks,
0: everyone
2: been fun Yeah, cheers
0: Yes, yeah,
3: thank
4: you We can all travel a lot safer now <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, um, you know, Just a, a quick shout out to um, Kelly and Connie um, Because they are just about to head out on their, their first um, adventure And, uh, so I, I wish you every success Yeah, thanks for sending in the question too. Cheers. Yeah, and Spain touch you too. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe maybe, uh, send us some notes while you're on the road.
0: Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw, and thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route, and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at the website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you for listening join us again next time oh and don't forget if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here drop by our website you can also look at the show notes i have some more information in here you can make comments on the show notes adventureriderradio.com